Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 247 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman, riding solo this week by my own choice. The reason behind that is because the interview that we have for you this week is extremely in-depth. It's the longest interview I've ever done. It's with the former WBC featherweight world champion, Kevin Kelly. Um, he goes into great detail about you know his whole career and stuff like that. So yeah, no, no Eddie this week, no Ayaz. Um, I'm just going to dive straight into the review and preview um, segments and then of course the news and then I'm going to bring Kevin in and that'll be That'll be pretty much everything this week. So let's fly through this. The review part starts here. Um, Thursday, the 2nd of July. Um, this one, again, took place last week at the bubble in the MGM Grand Las Vegas. We got to see Albert Bell move to 17-0. and A wide win for him on points over 10 rounds um, against Mark Bernaldez, who's now 20-4. and Topping that bill, we got to see Jose Pedraza move to 27-3 and in inside 30 fights of course um, a win for him unanimously over 10 rounds against Mikel Lespierre who's now 22 and 2 with a draw Lespierre a former um, world title challenger he, he boxed Maurice Hooker that's where his sole loss had come from prior to this bout here um it was a little bit like VAR boxing kind of thing, you know. The the instant replay boxing um, was 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 in play in, in many ways. The referee actually exited the ring to check the TV monitor's ringside in the round after the apparent knockdown happened, um, and then he got back in the ring and said that the knockdown that had happened in the previous round no longer stood. So that was quite bizarre. I've never seen that happen before. Um, round five. Uh, I think there was two knockdowns in round five. Um, I think Pedraza was down in that round. That might have been when they ruled it out, actually. Um, I know that Lespierre was down in round five for sure, and um, he was he was down in round ten as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, a good right hand as well that, that dropped him in round five from, from Pedraza. I actually thought Pedraza would probably get him out of there, but it wasn't to be. But like I say, a very wide win on points. Lespierre did well to survive the distance, to be fair to him. Um, also on the undercard, I should mention Robisi Ramirez. He was able to avenge his sole defeat to Adan Gonzalez, the man that he lost to on his debut. The Olympic gold medalist now 4-1, and one, a unanimous decision over six rounds against Adam Gonzalez. Um, I didn't really like the showboating from Ramirez, you know, poking his tongue out, stuff like that throughout the fight. You know, it was almost um, as if he was trying to pretend he doesn't respect the guy that he lost to, which was a bit silly, a bit distasteful for me. Uh, I just didn't really like that style there, but whatever. Uh, moving on now, we're gonna we're gonna move to Tuesday. This was this Tuesday, just um, just yesterday, because this show's actually going out on a Wednesday, which doesn't really happen. 
Um, but we're doing it this week. So yesterday at the Bubble MGM Grand, again, Las Vegas, Nevada, USA. Um, Andy Vences, 23-1 and with a draw, got in there against Luis Vargas, who's now 21-2, and because he was able to pull off the win, a split decision win over 10 rounds, a very close fight. Um, Andy Vences showed a terrific chin, if, if nothing else. Um, not saying he didn't do enough to win. I wasn't really paying too much attention to the fight, even though I should have been, because... Uh, you know, it was quite action-packed. Like I say, there was times in the fight where Ven says looked like he was on the verge of being stopped, but then, you know, Vargas kind of blew his blew his load, if you like, in the mid-rounds, and then towards the end of the fight, that's when Ven says came alive and started taking over, if you like. Um, also on that bill, Jose Ped, um not Pedraza, Zapida, I think I did that last week as well. 32-2 and two now, Zapida, a win for him unanimously over 10 against Kendo Castaneda, who's now... Um, 17 and 2. Quite a boring fight, to be honest. I expected more from Zapida there. Um, he was supposed to be taking on Ivan Baranchik, of course, but Baranchik pulled out the fight for whatever reason. If it would have been Baranchik in the in the opposite corner, I feel um, it would have been a loss for Zapida. He didn't impress me whatsoever. Um, and that's it, though, for the reviewing. We're going to move quickly on to the previewing. This one takes place tomorrow night, Thursday, the 9th of July, uh, back at the bubble in the MGM Grand. We've got Jerry Forrest, 26 and 3. He was supposed to be boxing Big Baby Miller, but of course, Big Baby Miller fouled yet another ped test, so he's out of the bout. But in steps the tough man, Carlos Takam, now now um, 38 and 5 with a draw. Um, interesting, actually, because he's a big favourite, if I'm not mistaken, Takam, but he hasn't had much notice, so. You know, it's going to be interesting to see. There could be some money to be earned if you back Forrest, but I'm not sure how good he really is. Um, also on the bill, we get to see Carlos Castro, 25-0, take on Cesar Juarez, who's 25-8, over 10 rounds. Um, we get to see Joshua um, Ortiz. I'm, I'm not 100% sure that's how he's said. 7-0, he's in a six-rounder against Joshua Alta, who's 6-0. That's a really good fight there between two undefeated prospects. Um, the heavyweight Jared Anderson is also um, is also back. He's 4-0. He's in a four-rounder against Hector Perez, who's 7-2. And, and, of course, on Friday, the return for UK boxing. The first promoter to bring action back to the screens is Frank Warren. It takes place at the BT Sports Studio in Stratford, London, United Kingdom. On this card, we get to see... Um, Brad Foster, who is 12-0 with two draws, he puts his Commonwealth and British Super Bantamweight titles on the line against James Beach Jr. from uh, from the West Midlands, who has a record of 12-0, so somebody's O must go there. Um, you definitely have to favour uh, Brad Foster, in my opinion. He's coming off those two fights against Lucian Reed. He looked really good in the rematch. Of course, the first one was a draw. The second one, um, he was able to get the stoppage over over Lucian Reed. I, I want to see him build on that, really. Also on the bill, we get to see Hamza Shiraz, 10-0. He puts his WBO European Super Welterweight title on the line against Paul Keane, who's 12-1, and the Scottish fighter. Um, that's that's going to go the distance for sure, I think, that one there. That's, that's a good fight, though. Good test there for Hamza Shiraz. Um, and the heavyweight David Adelaide is on the bill. He's 1-0 with 1 KO. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I was at that, that fight he had where he stopped the guy in the first round. Um, yeah, built like a brick, you know what. Um, I'm interested to see his development, but we're not going to see much when he takes on Matt Gordon, who's 2-2 two and two with a draw 
um, Matt Gordon, a southpaw, uh, 35 years of age. Um, who has Gordon lost to? He's lost to. Uh, he's coming off two losses actually. So uh, yeah, not quite sure what to expect from that one there. Um, and the final two bills to mention. Let's start on Saturday, this Saturday, the 11th, at the Mississippi Coast Convention Center in. In, in Mississippi, of course, USA. It's going to be on CBS Sports in the US. Um, undefeated prospect Lorenzo Simpson, 7-0. and He's in a six-rounder against Alex Duarte, who is 16-9 and with a draw. Just really that one fight to mention there. And moving now to Tuesday, next Tuesday, six days from now, the 14th of July. Um, big news. It's back on. Jamel Herring, he's recovered from his coronavirus, 21-2, and two, defending his WBO World Super Featherweight title against Jonathan Aquendo, 31-6. and six. Um, You know, obviously the fight was put off because, you know, Jamel tested positive for coronavirus and it looked like the fight wasn't going to get rescheduled. It looked like he was probably just going to take a long break and then hopefully return with a bigger fight. But, you know, it's, it's to everyone's surprise that the fight is back on. And I think there was about, I don't know, about about 10 days really from the announcement to the fight itself, if I'm not mistaken. Um, just a little look down Aquendo's record. He's got those six losses. One came to um, Lamont Roach Jr. That was his last loss. Obviously, Lamont Roach is a guy that um, Jamel Herring beat in his last fight. So that's a common opponent that sticks out right there. Um, he lost unanimously to, La- to Lamont Roach. And obviously, Jamel beat Lamont Roach on points. Um, he's also been in there with Jesus Cuellar. He lost that one. He's also been in there with Abner Mares, Wilfredo Vasquez Jr., um, Juan Manuel Lopez. And um, I really didn't know he'd been a pro for that long. He's been a pro for 16 years. That's that's quite shocking there, um, Jonathan Aquendo. But, yeah, I don't really see him putting up any kind of threat um, to to. Jamel Herring, you know, he's got a, a good win back in 2015 over Johnny Gonzalez, but yeah, nothing that stands out as threatening to me. Also on the undercard, Michaela Meyer, obviously she's another one that tested positive for coronavirus, she's back 12-0 and her record, she's in a 10 two-minute round contest against Helen Joseph, who is 17-4 and with two draws, um, I'm really looking forward to that card actually. Um, But that's it for the review and preview. Just moving over now to the news part of the show. MTK Global have announced some cards that they're going to be putting on. Um, The first event takes place on the 11th of August. It's a Tuesday. Um, We're going to see John O'Carroll take on Maxi Hughes. Uh, We're going to get to also see on that bill Sean McComb, who's 10-0. Uh, he takes on C.R. Osgall, who's 15-4. and four. Very tough guy, Osgall. He'll box absolutely anyone. Um, also, we get to see Craig McIntyre box Darren Surtees. And um, Sahir Iqbal take on um, Maradou Thomas. Not quite sure if I'm saying that right there. But, yeah, good bill. The second card takes place um, on the 25th of August. Lewis Crocker tops the bill against Lewis Green. Um, that one's for the vacant WBO European welterweight title. Also, Lee McGregor's back in that one. He takes on Ryan Walker. Uh, Gary Cully takes on Kieran Geffen. Blaine Hyland takes on James McGiven in, in James McGiven's debut. 
Um, and the third event is the 1st of September. It's another Tuesday night. It's headlined by um, Akeem Ennis Brown, who's 13 and 0. He takes on Philip Bowes, who's 20 and 3. Uh, Dan Aziz, this is a brilliant fight here for the for the English light heavyweight title. Dan Aziz, 11 and 0, takes on Andre Sterling, 11 and 2. Um, Darren Tetley also on the bill against Liam Taylor. That's a brilliant fight as well. And um, a couple of other good fights on that bill as well. So three fights that MTK have brought us there. Um, the other piece of news that is pretty shocking is that Dillian White has decided to step away from his trainer, his long-term trainer. He was with him for four years. Um, the trainer, of course, being Mark Tibbs. He's decided to part ways with him. And so has his young charge, Richard Riakpour. So uh, apparently it was very amicable between everyone. Uh, that's what we always want to see. But it's quite questionable with Dillian White's big, big fight. Um, very important for him to get the win. Um, coming up real soon. I think it's what? It's about six weeks away. And he's just parted ways with his trainer of four years that's done a lot for him. So... Uh, yeah, that, that took me by surprise, as as a lot of other people um, also were surprised by that. But that's it, though, for the review, for the preview part, of course, and the news. It's now time to welcome our sole guest on this week's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBC featherweight world champion. It is, of course, Mr. Kevin Kelly. Kevin, welcome to the show, my man. Thank you, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be aboard. It's absolutely my pleasure, Kevin, believe me. So, I want to start right from the beginning. Um, what was your upbringing like as a kid in, in that part of New York, of course? Well, New York City is a different city, and then it's always just transforming, changing. Uh, when I grew up, I was the only child. I have no brothers, no sisters. My mother's one of eight, my father's one of six. Um, I have uncles, aunts, nieces, you know, a few cousins here and there. Um, New York City was very different than it is now. It's not the same city. Um, I played outside. I played stickball, punchball, basketball, handball. Very athletic. Um, I never thought about boxing. My father liked boxing. He liked boxing a lot. We watched it on the weekends. When he was off work, we would watch boxing matches. I watched guys like Charlie Chuchu, Wallet, Brown, Messini, Livingstone Bramble, Mike McCollum. I watched a lot of these guys, Sugar Ray, Camacho. And I watched them, and I, li- I liked them. I never thought I would ever box. I just liked the sport. Um, growing up as a kid, my father was an amazing man. Um, as he was affected by his coronavirus, of course. My father passed away March 30th of uh, this year. Um, so he was an amazing man. Um, a great deal of, you know, with me, a lot of father-son activities. Uh, my mother went to the post office. Uh, she was very, very, uh, a very independent woman. Um so I was raised that way. I was raised young to, to go out and make I started working when I was 15 years old uh, just to occupy my pockets, my own pockets, you know, so I asked my father for my money. So it was pretty much, it very, made me very independent, um, very not needed on somebody else to do things yourself. So I think they raised me pretty well, you know. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm from New York City, so I was born in, born in Brooklyn. I was raised in Queens. So I was in both parts. Uh, we had a great time. I moved here. I moved to Vegas from Long Island. I lived in Long Island. Um, so pretty much I enjoyed life pretty well. And I, I got a chance to live in the 80s and 90s of New York City and see what it's like, you know, and that's the point. And I think that's what made me who I am today. Yeah, for sure. And I didn't know about your father, so I'm, I'm extremely sorry to hear that. Uh, may, may... Yeah, that, that, my father passed, yeah. He got, the coronavirus got him. Uh, my mother caught it first. And after she caught the coronavirus, 
I never kept telling the doctors in America could tell them this, but the flu. It's not the flu. And I knew it. I'm in Vegas, and the hard part was I had handcuffed here in Vegas because oh, it's so bad in New York City. You can't go there. Yeah. And um, so my mother uh, caught it first. She recovered and followed the nurse back to health, and he caught it. Uh, I talked to him the last time, the 28th, as we had a communication. 29th, I gave him a break. 30th, my uncle called his, his identical twin and told me my father had passed away. Um, he was actually about to turn in May. He had turned 74 years old. Very sad, man. And my mother father married 53 years. Oh, that's very sad, Kevin. Um, like I said, yeah. I apologize. I'm sorry about the, the, the awful news. Ah. Um yeah, let's um, let's let's talk about your earliest boxing memory. What's your earliest memory in boxing? Perhaps the first time you put on a pair of gloves. Well, what happened was I wanted a jacket from the gym, and uh, the earliest I think I was fifteen years old. I was fifteen. Um, I really didn't go to the gym to box. I went to the gym to just you know something to do for a little bit, and um, I started showing talent, and, and, and the trainer started noticing, and uh, I became his. Golden Glove champion, East Regional champion. I was, I was number two in the country, three in the world. It was crazy. It was, it was amazing. It, I I realized I had a gift, and um, as I was doing it, it came very easy to me. Boxing wasn't hard for me. It was very easy. Um, me, my movement, my speed. I, I came to the gym with a bunch of quick reflexes, fast hands, fast feet. Uh, everything went just fast, and I just played. It was it was playtime for me. You know, I I enjoyed. The tag, I called it tag when I was a kid. I was playing tag. I, I had so much fun. It was so much fun. Never thought I'd be professional. Never thought I would fight for titles. I just enjoyed it at the moment. I traveled around the world, country and around the world as an amateur when I was 16, 17 years old in Russia. Um, news cameras come to school and film me in class. Um, I was just watching it. I was, I was a spectator of me, too. I was, I was, I'd never seen anything like this. So I was pretty much primarily just watching me from the outside looking in. Um, you know, I, I, it, was, it was something different. And to know that I turned professional and all these things, that these grand things that happened later on, you know, I wanted to be the best. My mother always told me, be the best. And that's what I was thinking. That's not about winning or losing. I was about being the best. And, and that, that was my goal to achieve, and I achieved it. Yeah, you certainly did. And as an amateur, if I'm not mistaken, I think you had 75 fights, um, winning 70 of the 75, but sadly missing out yes. on going to the Olympic Games. Um, what was your highlight moment of your amateur career, Kevin, if you can remember? Well, all of it's all of it together, really, because I won a lot of tournaments on FI State Games, uh, the Golden Gloves twice, the, the all these all these tournaments I won. So it was uh, it was only the highlight. I would say the Golden Gloves probably because that's the biggest amateur tournament you know in America here. Um, and fighting in the Garden, which the great Ray Robinson did, Peter Atafermo did, Mark Breland did, Redick Bow did, Junior Jones. So that 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 competition of Golden Gloves was a great breeding ground for future world champions. Honey Boy, the Vowels, the Golden Glove champion. The great Ray Robinson, pound for pound, the greatest fighter to lift, is a former Golden Glove two-time world, two-time champion. So I think that, I did, being I did that, the Garden was an, a big thing to me. I fought 16 times in the Garden, and, um, and two as an amateur, so probably about 22 times. Um, the Garden was, a, a, I would say, the Golden Gloves because it was the most prestigious amateur tournaments to do. You know, the Nationals is not basically one in the country, but the Golden Gloves in New York City, a lot of guys want to. I still wear the Golden Gloves around my neck today. I still have a 1986 pair of Golden Gloves around my neck right now. Um, 
you know, that that's a victorious. I mean, a lot of people. I, I mean, Iran Barkley. I mean, the names that win a Golden Gloves is anonymous. Nobody's nobody's near that. You know what I'm saying? Um, Mike Tyson probably the only one from New York that didn't win a Golden Gloves. They didn't even fight a Golden Gloves. So realistically, that was an amateur tournament that was a really highlight of my career. Yeah, absolutely. And um, getting on to your pro career now, obviously you made your debut September 8th, 1988 at the Felt Forum in New York. You boxed a guy by the name of Willie Barnes. Do you remember much of your debut, Kevin? Uh, if I think about it, I do. I think it was the most scariest time of my whole career. <laughs> Why? Because it's the first fight. Yeah. You know, and the first time you're going pro, no headgear. So it feels a little bit off. Of course, you used to fight with a headgear on, a shirt. And that all comes, you don't have to do that. You fight with eight ounce gloves, which is smaller than the ten ounce that you fight as an amateur. Um, so it makes things difficult, you know. And 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 I actually had to regroup myself, and I wanted to stop in Billy Barnes, and um, he was a great opening for me. He, and I got to tell you, buddy, all every opponent that I faced who built my legacy, helped build my legacy, we lose a draw. You know what I'm saying? I mean, um, you look at most fighters. But I would tell people, fighters they remember. The fights they had are, you know what I'm saying? That's what's memorable. The fights that they had. I, I got 72 pro fights. Great career to me personally, but I have about three fights. The three fights that people talk about. And no matter where I go, it'll follow me for the rest of my life. You know, I hear about me and Troy Dorsey all the time, all the time. That was Dana White's UFC president's favorite fight. Okay. Um, then I hear about me and Smoke Gaynor all the time, all the time. And the history maker of all, of course, me and the prince. Absolutely. Um, I, I think because it left a void, a void there. People wanted a rematch, and that rematch didn't take place. Um, and the thing is, that's where I think we left a huge pressure mark on there, you know. And, and all I care about is great fights, you know what I'm saying? And I, I realized that those three fights are the epitome of my career. Um, those three fights, people judge. Everything I've done on, you know, it's just like a Terrell Gotti. Terrell Gotti was my spawn partner. And Gotti had some great fights. Okay, and that's what defined who he was. And, and I was telling people, I don't care how good a fighter you are. As good as Mayweather is, you know, he doesn't have a defining fight. And as great as Roy Jones is, doesn't have a defining fight. Roy Jones is that good. So it's it, it, three fights, two fights. Ali without Frazier. Ali without Norton. Ali without, you know what I mean? I mean, George Foreman. You say, who is that person? So the bottom line is those are things great fighters, only great competitions, and that's what makes greatness. And we'll certainly get on to those fights. I want to I wanna fast forward to one of them that you mentioned, um, February 18th, 1992. At this point, of course, you're 26-0 and with 20 KOs. You box at the Paramount Theater in New York against, against Troy Dorsey, um, who in his last fight prior to this, lost his world title. So you're boxing a former world champion here. Um, you win the fight unanimously over 12 rounds. Obviously, Troy Dorsey had had a short but tough career when you look back. Um, was he the best opponent you'd boxed by that stage? I'm guessing he probably was. What do you remember of the fight, though? He might be the best opponent I've faced in my life. Okay. Uh, with Troy Dorsey, you need a gun. Okay, <laughs> forget about the gun. He doesn't stop coming... Um, until you, when I, after that victory, I, I didn't feel anybody won that fight, me personally in the ring. I thought they were in a draw because the bottom line was, you know, I, he, he took me to a fight. Where I, had, I was in the hospital after that fight. I peed blood for the first time. I mean, I thought I was really going to die. Um, you know, I couldn't stop myself from doing what I did. And that, that fight proved to me that what I could take. 
I always tell people, you don't know what you could take until you're in a boxing ring. And you're, 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 you're going at it. You know how to stop him. And, he's, and you don't know how much you could take. He's a true test. And I'll be fine to the day. He's a true test of my fortitude. He's a true test of my will. Okay? Because I didn't even know I had that in me. I didn't even know. So he exposed me to myself. And the bottom line is, going back and forth, we brought the Guinness Book of World Records. We got beat, of course, later. But um, 2,806 punches thrown in 12 rounds. Um, Troy Dorsey's a monster. I mean, I fought him. He was number one in the IBF. I was number one in the BC. Thinking back in hindsight, that was a bad managerial decision. <laughs> you know, because either one loses, you know, we lose our number one spot. And I became number one in IBF at that point. Um, I was number one in the BC, IBF, PO, all of them. And um, that was a really grueling, grueling. I mean, the most I could say I've, in my career, where I could feel to this day, is from that fight. And we talked from time to time on the phone. And he runs a dojo of martial arts. He's actually the first martial artist ever to win a boxing world title. He's the first guy. And um, so he come from kickboxing, and he won world titles in kickboxing, and then he won a boxing title. So Troy Dorsey is a uh, man. I mean, to go 12 rounds, 45 minutes of grueling torture with a man you can't hurt. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, and like I said, that was the first time you'd actually gone 12, so that was a brilliant win for you for you at the time, of course. Um, 22 months later, you gather another 10 wins. By this time, you're 36-0. December 4th, 1993 is the date at the Reno Sparks Convention Center in Nevada. You box the reigning WBC featherweight world champion at the time, the Mexican Gregorio Vargas. Um, I'm sure you'll never forget that night, of course, when you become world champion. Tell us what you remember about it. Um, obviously a brilliant night. Kevin. Well, you know, well, I was mandatory for at that point for two years. I fought Dorsey in 92. Yeah. So I fought the title in late, late, late 93, which I wasn't even going to get because nobody would fight me. I wanted to fight Tom Boom Boom Johnson, who was the IBF champion back then, and Boom Boom wouldn't fight me whatsoever. Um, I wanted to fight Rojas, who was the BA champion. I wanted to fight um, Young Kim Park from the Korea that was, I think, was one of the belts he had. But at that point, I was actually ready to retire because I couldn't get a title shot. You know, I remember I turned pro 88. I didn't get the shot until 93, and I barely got that one. The reason I got it was because um, Gregorio Vargas, um, he had fought a fight before before he gave me that fight. HBO stepped in. That's when the HBO came about. I actually, the storyline behind it, as I ran into Lou DiBello, the vice president of HBO, not knowing who he was, and we were talking about my career. And I'm 36 and 0, and number one mandatory, and I'm very frustrated. And I was talking to this guy, and I didn't know who he was, and I'm venting, and I'm cursing him out too while I'm at it. <laughs> and he's saying crazy things. And um, I wind up putting myself into history by being a first featherweight in 25 years to be on HBO. Um, and that's what got that fight to happen. Okay, me and Goya Vargas. Well, they were trying to give me a fight with him inside of Ireland for like a third of the money that it didn't make sense. Um, that was the start, really, of my career. I see the rebirth. Um, I won the title, and then I was like thinking to myself, "I'm well, now I'm 37 and 0." You know, I, I was I was put in a position to create the lightweights. I, I I wasn't there to do that, but I got offered the job, and I was placed in that position right away because I was the only lightweight on HBO. It was only Delahoy was the lightest guy they had. So me being a featherweight on you know, HBO, then I started criticizing heavyweights. And they called me a heavyweight destroyer, so I, I would fight on his heavyweight cards, Michael Moore's cards, 
Okay, anybody caught they have holy filter, whatever. And I went out trying to outdo my job to outdo the heavyweight and get bigger ratings. So that was the beginning. So Gordon Vargas fight was the epitome of what made my career. But without the Dorsey fight, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I knew what I could take and what I couldn't take. So at that end of that fight was a was a start. I just thought, like I, like my career, the 35 fights, 36 fights before that, I was now at the starting gate. You get my point? I wasn't at the finish line. I was at the starting gate. You know what I'm saying? And it's crazy to think like that. But say, but no, no. Because most people would get comfortable in the position I was in. I couldn't get comfortable because I had to keep moving because now I had a position where I was the the icon for the, the lightweights. I was representing them. And I, you know, giving Junior Jones opportunity on HBO, Tracy Patterson, giving all these, putting all these guys on HBO. Me and Lou DeBella put that together. Okay? Creating lightweights on HBO. And years later, of course, fighting the Prince, that was the epitome of what I was building back then. Yeah. And, and I want to go through your defenses, because you had some tough defenses. Um, you know, your first defense comes five months later in Atlantic City against former WBO super bantamweight world champion Jesse Benavidez. You were able to get the win mm-hmm. unanimously over 12 that night as well. Um, tell us about that one there, Kev. Well, Jesse Vargas, I mean, Jesse Benavides, I didn't want to fight him because I thought he was too small for me, a junior featherweight. And and, and TV, how TV works, he had fought Tracy Patterson twice, so TV, they, they knew him, so they trusted him, and they felt to be a good fight for me. I didn't want to fight him. I wanted to unify the titles. I wanted boom, boom. I wanted roll hot. I, I was going straight for the juggler vein. I wasn't trying to play around with uh, other guys, contenders that could be out there. It was, I felt different, you know, I mean, I wanted to be a dominant. My mother told me to be the best, and that's what I wanted to do. I sent the message by knocking guys out. Um, I would send a message to future opponents, okay? And that was my mindset. It sounds crazy, but that's the way my mindset thought. Okay, I want to beat guys so bad that the future opponents are so scared, okay, that they know what I can do to them. Um, Jesse Benavides was a heck of a fight. I knew that, but I always thought he was just too small for me. And when they took the fight, TV took the fight, I said, nah, I don't fight Jesse Benavides. And I just a fight that I didn't really want. And uh, Jesse Van is a really good fighter, you know? I, I, you know, if you ain't got nothing to gain out of something, it's hard to get up for it, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. First of all, I waited until 36 pro fights to become world champion. You know what I'm saying? And that's crazy. And then I'm, I got, I'm fighting these hard, tough guys. To me, it was like, oh, I want something bigger. You know, Jesse was decent. He was a good fighter, but I wanted something bigger. And just seven weeks later... You're back in the ring um, in Atlantic City again against former world title mm-hmm. challenger Georgie Navarro. It's a non-title bout in which you stopped him in 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 the sixth round. Um, what actually happened there? How come uh, you know you're out so soon and again in a non-title bout? Well, me, I, I so you got to understand something. My my career, I got so many fights because I have to fight once a month, <laughs> and I want to do that as a champion. I didn't really care because to me, that's your job. If that's your job, let's get to work. Okay, and the thing was, I, w- I wanted to get in the ring with Tom Johnson. I wanted Rojas. I wanted Young Kim Park. I, I wanted to unify the division right away. Um, and it- it- my career, it was like it was like so hard. It was like pulling teeth because the networks didn't believe that lightweights made money. They didn't believe that people want to see lightweights. That old heavyweight stigma was floating around in boxing, and I had to get rid of that. And, and that was a major, major problem. I had to get rid of that old stigma. Oh, it wasn't. No, they don't. They want to see good fights. And um, me being the only one for a little bit before I brought Junior on and Tracy on and the other guys on um, was 
was a little bit, a lot of hard work, very, very hard. So it wasn't an easy thing for me to do, neither was it for Lou DiBella. But Navarro, I didn't really even care. I mean, Andrew Dundee trained him, so I knew he was a good, pretty decent fighter. Um, I was looking to fight the big fights and just make my imprint. And that fight was kind of funny because I fought in Atlantic City. I was fighting a racetrack. I was the only fight on the card. There was no undercard. No undercard. So it was only my fight. But, you know, CBS Sports is big, big in America, huge. Um, CBS Sports. And uh, I wound up stopping him in the sixth round. Um, and after that fight, it was a funny story. After that fight, he got arrested because in America, he owed child support to a Jersey woman, the woman from in Jersey, and they arrested him after that fight. So the next day in the paper, it came out, Kelly Cuffs Navarro. <laughs> so that was kind of funny. So it was more a little backstory on that fight you know, that people don't know about, that he had got arrested after that fight for not paying child support. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I love, I love digging up these fights that many other interviewers probably wouldn't ask about because there's always funny stories in there. Yeah, there's always attachments. <laughs> Three months later, you're back in Atlantic City. You're making your second defense of the title here against Jose Ramos. You stop him in only two rounds to retain the title. Um, what do you recall of that quick night there? That night, I remember that night because Muhammad Ali was with my managers. You know, my managers had Muhammad Ali. And the, the plan, it was more of a, a, a event. We made an event out of it. We were going to bring Muhammad in. Joe Frazier was going to come in. Nobody knew Muhammad was going to be there. So all my, all my personal friends were going to meet Muhammad Ali for the first time in a small ballroom. What happened was I was supposed to fight on a car with Lennox Lewis. Right? I believe at that time Lennox was supposed to fight always fighting. And they, they moved the fight from America to overseas in Europe. And I didn't feel too kind about going overseas at that moment. You know, I just didn't want to, I don't think we were going to go. But they didn't move my fight. It kind of separated us. So what happened was, instead of HBO doing two dates, okay, at the same time that they do now, putting doing American feed and a, a European feed, they went, they went overseas. So being they went overseas, I wound up fighting on the Spanish network, which the fight's on the Spanish network. And it was in the, in the Bally's Hotel, in, in, a, in a room that maybe held 3,000, okay, at best. We sold it out. I had buses. I got rented buses from New York City that didn't go to Lancaster. City. Um, when Ali walked in the room, of course, pandemonium erupted. To this day, I hear about that. People talk about it. Man, I got a picture of Ali. But Ali used to come to my house all the time. My managers were his agents. So Ali was a, a part of my team. So Ali being there was no surprise for me because we brought him in, you know. And um, Joe Frazier showed up. So that was a good thing. But Vito Reynolds was actually a very – I thought defenses looking at it now that most guys wouldn't fight. He was like, what, 28 and 1? With like 19 knockouts? He was a very dangerous opponent. Um, none of New Yorkers came up because, you know, Dominican, he's Dominican. I remember that. And um, Vito Ramos, when I caught him, I, it was a, a real scary knockout. I mean, when I knocked him out, if you watched that fight, it was very scary. Um, I hit him so hard with a double left hand. Uh, it was very good. And like I said, the crowd loved it. I mean, it was more of a fan. Like I said, it was that the idea was Ali was there, Frazier was there, the room was packed. All my friends still talk about that fight because they all got drunk, had a great time. Um, they got a chance to meet the legend, the, whole, the, the, the greatest of all time, right? And I put that in the room. And so that's a memory I left my fans with, and, you know, a lot of friends with, you know, saying they got a chance to be in a private setting, more or less, in a 3,000 room. With Ali, and that was a really, really good thing for my fans. Yeah, that's extremely cool. And yeah, no, he was a good fighter. Um, he, he really was. Obviously, after that, he went on to get those two wins against Jorge, pa Jorge Paez, who was a bit long in the tooth at that point, but still good wins. Um, 
Yeah, so six weeks later, you are back once again, another non-title bout, this time against Pete Taliaferro in Mississippi. You stop him in yeah. the 10th and final round. That took you to 41-0. and However, that's as far as the undefeated run would go. Two months later, you, uh-huh. you made your final defense of the title against Alejandro Gonzalez in San Antonio, Texas. Yeah. You pulled out yeah. You pulled out in, in, in the 10th um, round by your corner. Just run us through that one, Kev. Well, what happened was, Fighting that often and, and and keeping that pace was very hard to me, right? Even though I wanted to keep it, I wanted a break after before Peter Taliaferro. I wanted a break, but um, because managers, ah, we're getting a winning streak right now, you know. And HBO was like, oh, and my man, and and Alejandro was actually my my mandatory. I don't even know where he came from, and I wanted a little more time. I wanted to take a break. I really, I think back in hindsight, if I had a Think about it. I would probably vacate it, let him have the defense uh, and go on about my business and fight other people. You know what I'm saying? And uh, instead of being under pressure, I would have vacated. I was thinking about it. And I was thinking about it. But the thing was, because, you know, I had nothing to gain in that fight. Only thing to lose. You know what I'm mean? saying? And it's hard when you're, when you're fighting the incline and then you got to fight the decline. So with me, it was like, even Tyler Farrell fight. If you look at the Tyler Farrell fight when I fought the fight, I was. I was holding back on knocking him out because I was so, like, psychologically at that point, like, yeah, you know, because I wanted Tom Johnson. I wanted Rojas. I wanted the other champions. I'm in the incline. I'm not in the decline. I'm not leveled or leveled off. So it was like I built this record up, and I was fighting these fights back-to-back. And I love to fight once a month if I'm going in upward, upward direction. But it seemed to me... At that point, I was fighting guys that I was giving them more opportunity than that was I was getting. So it was very dangerous. When I fought Pete Salafero, I remember Phil talking to me, and I was just letting let him land shots once in a while. It was, it was like it was almost like too easy for me for a little bit for a minute. And this guy fought Gotti for everybody, and he was a real dangerous opponent. And then Phil, and then forget it, forget it. I think it was ninth round. Stopped him. Phil said, "I don't trust the judges. I don't trust the, the judges." Right which gave me a challenge, which means, okay, Kevin, get him out of there. So that's a challenge, right? And that's exactly what I did. You know what I'm saying? So he sparked me by saying that to me. You know, when you do 41 full fights undefeated like that, it's a hard, a hard mentality, you know? And then if I move it up to the Alejandro Cabrita fight, we're fighting in Texas. Um, he's my mandatory. I have to fight this guy. And I'm like, you know, it's hard, it's hard to get for him. But... I felt like, okay, whatever. I'm like, go and get him, right? Whatever, right? And uh, in the second round, I felt some burning in my eyes. And my eyes started inflaming, blowing up. And I seen the first time I ever seen, you know, rub, rub his gloves on the side of his shorts. It was just weird. The whole thing was weird, you know? And then I tried to stop it. I dropped him in, I think, the ninth round, ninth or tenth round, dropped him. But my eyes were so blown up big, right, that I couldn't see no more. They, my eyelids had flipped. Then they rushed me to the hospital after that fight. They drained my eyes to see what was in my eyes. Hopefully something was done. And, um, you know, it never happened to me again like that. My eyes never blew up like that in, in life, you know. And um, I just thought it was a foul play there. But, okay, you know, I'll take it. Like, I took all the wins. I'll take it. Because if don't kill you, make you strong. And I'll come back from it. And that just gave me a break. Then I took off a little bit, right? I thought I was going to take off a little longer. And I saw a new promoter, of course. And I didn't say the names. I saw a new promoters. And... They taught me to take a fight right away. They said to me, the way people get, people get a loss, get, if they get a loss, they get a win. So I know I have an up and down roller coaster. You know, I, 
of God's faith in, in my in giving me ability, giving me ability. You know, I had, had some forty-one and one, and I was looking to take a break. I was looking to take a six-month break, maybe seven-month break, but that didn't happen. As you see the calendar you got in your hand, I'm fighting uh, a Carl Rivera, and that's actually a great fight. That's actually a great fight to watch. That's the only fight I ever got my behind whipped in. I guess you could say I was taking a whipping. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I never took a whipping in my career except for that fight. And I, of course, of course, I saved myself because I dig down deep and I knock him out with one punch. And, you know, and um, it was in a luck, nothing like that. I, I just, I, I told him to my experience guard in that fight. And that fight I experienced guard because I was back too early. But I remember this, this funny story. I remember being on a plane flying to Mississippi. Oh, no, Memphis, as a matter of fact. And um, telling the wife, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I don't feel I'm ready. I don't. I don't feel it. You know, I'm just. I just trained. I'm in shape, but no. You know, and it wasn't because of the loss. It was. It was just I was getting tired because I was fighting so often, so frequently. You know, I came up like that, and then when you get there, you want to take a, take yourself to gas a little bit, step back a little bit, evaluate yourself, and then go again. But I didn't have that break. So, and and even after the loss, I what two months later, feeling right. Yeah. You know, so me, I looked at it like I'm not ready because I wasn't psychologically in it. The game is not even psychological. And uh, I saved my whole career. That night, I saved my whole career because if I lost the fight, my career was going to be really in the tank. You know what I'm saying? Like every 40, 41 and 2. And that, that wasn't going to happen. So that's what rejuvenated my whole career. Yeah, like I said, or like you said, just it was only two months after the loss. You know, you were down in the second. You were given a standing eight count in the sixth, but you got you got the stoppage in the end, round nine. Um, after that is when you get the two back-to-back draws. The first one came against Tommy Parks, in which you were down in the first, but a head clash ended the bout in just the second round, um, and it was declared a technical draw. What do you recall of that fight there, Kev? That fight... He really didn't want to fight. I could see the ring. And I, I wasn't, I wasn't, those fights there in my career are fights that me trying to find myself and also trying to relocate the old Kevin Kelly. You know what I'm saying? Because um, I was so dominant, so prominent. You know what I'm saying? Beating the best fighters in the world. It was, so, it was, it was what it was. But that reign, even before I lost, the pizza, it really started Pete Tyler where I needed that break. And it just dominoed with, Alejandro and then Ricardo Rivera, and now, now you know these other two guys. Um, I was really psychologically like I just need a break. And that first draw I got in my career, I never had a draw. And then I fight Bones Adams, which you know was a friend of mine. I don't want to fight him either. He's too small for me. I, I told this at top rank. He's too small for me. I why would I fight Bones? Bones is a friend of mine. Why do I don't want to fight Bones? And it's for a world title belt too, the BU. And I'm like, you know, I want the belt, but I want to fight Bones for it. You know, so I, I I go in and do, and, and they match us. They tell me we wasn't fighting at first. And then when I show up to the fight, he shows up. And then they got us against each other. It, it, it was about a lot of bad business done in that, in that situation. So what I did was after you see the break in my career, after the Bones Adams fight, I disappear. You know, I do what, what, what I then needed to do since Peter Salaferro was just take that break. Okay, we evaluate some things. One, you know, when you box the way I boxed from amateur to pro and it never stops, you need a break somewhere. You know what I'm saying? You need a break. Um, I am human. You know what I'm saying? I didn't think I was when I was coming up, but I am human. 
And, um, you know, having an amateur career starting at 15 years old and never stopping. You know what I'm saying? Never stopping. That was crazy. Because I always felt if I stopped, I would lose something. So I never stopped. And, um, you know, after Bones fight, I was like, enough's enough. I'm telling my management, everybody, y'all going to be chilling for a minute. I'm relaxing. I'm taking a break. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm not going to come back until I'm ready. Did you feel like... You know, again, I won it again. Did you feel like you won the Bones-Adams fight, by the way? Well, I know I won. He's a friend of mine, but you can see I was trying to hurt him. Hmm. You know, and, and, and when people, people know me, I'm, I'm a guy that takes you out. That's what I do. And the thing with me is they didn't see me in that form or fashion, even the judges, and thought that he was doing better. And both of the things with me, I Bones, we were hanging out with him sometimes. But everybody thought that he did better because I allowed it. You know what I mean? It was a thing. I was, I was just trying to knock him out. I was trying to hurt Bones. Even though I was swollen, you know what I'm saying? I did enough to be damaged to, for it to be, uh, 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 you know, of course, undisputed win. Okay, on the street of win for me, I take the belt and I keep moving. I thought personally, because you know the, the title, the U.S. title, the new belt, Europe. I like it. Um, I win the BU and I'll be back on top of things, and hopefully I get Tom Johnson and see these guys to fight. Um, so that was the whole matter because Bones was a junior, a junior featherweight, and so was um, other boy, Benavides. Um, Both of them were junior featherweights. They wasn't featherweights, and I just felt that I was taking advantage of the situation. Yeah, because you know? we, we spoke to Bones a few weeks back and he said about that fight that after I think it was about four rounds, he said he'd hate to be watching it on TV. He doesn't think it was the prettiest fight to watch. <laughs> yeah, it was very boring. Um, I allowed it to be boring, like I said, but I was, but people know that me and Bones, you know, people understand that me and Bones go back to when we first started in the garden. Okay, Bones was 17 years old, he a pro. And he was a junior featherweight. He was no threat to me. I was no threat to him. And um, I dominated my division. But I wasn't trying to fight Bones. There's no need. There's no there's no future promise in a fight between me and Bones. Nobody really cared about it. You know, it was in a fight where I had to, where I win and it's gonna be a bunch of accolades going on. No. You know, it's like I'm supposed to win. What are you doing fights you're supposed to win? You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the hardest place to fight from when you're supposed to win. You know? And with me, they, they didn't, the judges didn't see what they normally saw and they thought that it was just um me, uh, oh, he's doing so well and he did okay, like I said, but nothing. I had no no marks on me, nothing. Yeah, you know, I was trying to hurt him, but you know, but the thing was, you know, you it's hard to get in a ring with somebody that you're friends with like that. Very difficult. Yeah, for sure. Very difficult. You know, I figure he'll get a check. I'll get a check. We'll be out of here. I grab the belt and I go my way. Sure. You know, um, that's why I looked at the fight and I thought I won a fight. Of course, fight of course. Even Bones knows I won that fight, but you know, it was nowhere near a draw. It was nowhere near a draw. But I understand the judges see me with tenacity all the time. They're used to me going in there trying to get you out of there. They didn't see that. They didn't see that. And because they didn't see that, they thought it was a draw. No, fair enough. I'm going to watch that one back and score that myself, and I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, five, yeah, I want to play very easily. Just five it. months later, you know, because you did disappear for a while, but you, you were back against former two-weight world champion Louis Espinosa, another brilliant fight. The fight takes place at the Boulder Station Hotel in Las Vegas, Friday, February 2nd, 1996. A unanimous decision win for you over 12. That's a brilliant win looking back now as well. Well, like I said, but you know, Luis Anoza was motivated. At that point, like I said, my career, like I said, that's one loss. And if he showed that with me coming back, um, wasn't was going to be at worst, I was going to be better than I was when I first left. So Espinosa, the reason that motivated me was because I was a 4-1 under. And I'm saying, look at my record, look at his. 
how can I be the underdog? And I didn't understand that. They predicted he's going to knock me out. So when when I took the fight, I said, okay. And it was like it was like a throwaway fight for me. And I trained. And like I said, if you don't know when I'm in the gym, and it was, I was, but the motivation was that I was a underdog. How can I be an underdog with one loss? He's got what, five or six losses. I got one, and I'm the underdog. So all it did was put the spark in my behind, which I needed. And I even told Louis over there in the press conference. I said, Louis, I said, I'm thank you. I say, I'm saying thank you to you because you put spark in my behind with being a favorite. I said, I need that. That's what I need. I said, Lou, I'm going to beat you easily. I told, tell him I'm going to beat you easily because of that. Right? And we had a great, great like conversation the first conferences, you know, and it was very good promotion uh, for that fight. Um, I was going for the second world title. And, you know, like I said, the champions make the belt. The belt will make the champion. So James Tony had one at that time. Andrew McFreddy had one at that time. And um, I said, I'm going to beat this guy easy. As dangerous he is, I'm going to beat him. He's a favorite. And that put the spark I needed under my fire. You know what I'm saying? So when I trained, I was looking amazing in the gym. Looking, my weight was fine. Everything was good. It was going great. And I looked forward to fighting with Snowden. And that's what you need as a fighter. You need those those fights after you become world champion, you prove you're the best. You need something to test you all the time. You need something to, to test. So, and I did exactly what I said I was going to do. I beat him very easily. Um, he closed his eye. I had his eye closed, everything. I was, I was unscathed, unmarked. I remember one thing in, the, in that fight. Uh, I told Phil in the eighth round, I'm not getting hit. And Phil slapped me. <laughs> I said, you're hit now. So go out there and win the fight. So that was, that was a great, great win for me, you know, and grab my second world title. You know, and I still was able to get all the champions in the ring, but it was crazy. Yeah, that for me, is, it was crazy. That's that's one of my favorite wins of yours, to be honest. And uh, four months later, you're back out against the eventual WBA featherweight world champion. This is another one of my favorite wins of yours, Derek Gaynor. Um, a very entertaining fight that lasted eight rounds. You had him down in the third. He had you down in the fourth. You had him down in the fifth, and then of course you got him out of there in the eighth. Tell us about that one in Jacksonville. Brilliant fight. Well, Roy Jones, Claude, no worries. Nobody wants to fight Smoke. It's obvious why they won't fight him. He's a lefty, number one. And number two, he's about close to six feet. Um, he's fast. He's quick. He's fast like Roy Jones. He's got a lot of tools. And, you know, who, a lot of guys want to fight him. But when me and Roy we came up to the amateur together, we know each other very well. You know, we're friends. And uh, Roy saw an opportunity, I think, for Smoke. Because Smoke and him were best friends. I was just friends with Roy. He's best friends with him. And so opportunity, you know, he knows me. I'll fight anybody, anywhere, and it don't matter. And he offered me to fight. And at first, I was like, at first, I was like, no, nah, what do I fight him for? He's not, he's not even ready in the top ten. You know what I'm saying? So the way I looked at it was like, I don't have to fight him. So I'm looking for something bigger than me to fight. The problem is, nobody bigger than me out there to fight. You know, I'm number one featherweight in the world, even with the BU belt, I'm still number one featherweight in the world. And I'm thinking to myself, okay. So finally, I turn around. That's why I don't care where I do it. And I told him one thing: the fight can't be in Florida. I can't be in Florida because I'm not going by a decision. They wanted to be in Florida anyway. Two weeks for the fight. I go down there. Gators, tall, lanky. I ain't thinking about it much. Uh, he's a lefty. I hate fighting lefties because I'm lefty. So I don't like to fight at all because it's lefty. It's going to be a little awkward, a little ugly from time to time. And right in the what, third round, the eye injury happens. And he hits my lid and my lid blows up. My eyes all big and huge. Now I got to fight with this thing now, right? And I also know I'm going to lose a decision and lose my belt in Florida. So I knew going to Florida that I'm going to have to knock him out the win. Roy Jones is the promoter. 
It's on Roy Jones' card. It's in Florida. I mean, like, really, why don't I go fight at his house, right? You know what I'm saying? Why don't I go fight at home? So I have no way to win that fight, but I have to knock him out. And um, me and Phil talked many times in the corner. The IHV just, just made it more desperate that I had to do it. Um, I was fighting very well with one eye. I dropped to the fifth with one eye. And um, I, I could see because with the Cabrito fight, I had both my eyes closed, right? So me having one eye to gain a fight was a plus. <laughs> That's what I looked at it. I didn't look at it as negative. I looked at it, oh, my God. No, I looked at it like, well, in the other fight, I couldn't see at all. Now I could see. Remember, I said in the corner, Judge doctor said, can you see, Mr. Kelly? I said, yes, I got one eye. That's exactly what I meant. Okay, I got one eye. I can see. And I did what you call the Kelly switch then, and uh, it worked. And I knocked him, I knocked him out, and uh, that was a pretty good fight. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It was a great fight to remember. I mean, Tyson's one Tyson's favorite fight. Uh, a lot of guys favorite fights. People like back and forth, you know, fiascos. But and I got Gainer, you know, I knocked him out. I thought he was very dangerous for any other featherweight to fight. I can see why guys don't want to fight him. He's quick. He's fast. A hell of a fighter. Definitely. Definitely. And then, of course, you put together a further three wins over um, Edwin Santana, the the uh, former WBA Super Bantamweight World Champion, Jesus Salud, then the former WBO Super huh? Bantamweight World Champion, Orlando Fernandez, uh, before then yeah. landing that, that fight at the Madison Square Garden, New York, against our very own Prince Nassim Hamed huh? for the WBO featherweight world title, December 19th, 1997. I'm going to take a guess and say it's yeah. probably the most talked about fight of your career, perhaps. Tell us about it. No, the top three. <laughs> top three, Gaynor, Dorsey, and Prince. Um, like I said, I got 72 pro fights on here, about three of them. <laughs> it's amazing. Not on this, and you not want that. This like I said, you know, we talked about a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but the whole thing is, like I said, three fights. Um, he, he, that's one of the top three. He's one of the top three fights. People, like I said, there's no such thing as great fighters. Only great fights. Yeah. I think that was the epitome of his career, and that was the, the final button in mind a little bit. Uh, it was my last, actually, supposed to be my last featherweight fight ever. I was struggling to make a featherweight. Um, what happened was in the storyline, Vinus, is what people don't know. I challenged the Prince. I was looking to fight him. Like I thought I was chasing Tom Johnson. Right here, beat Tom. Tom gave him an opportunity to fight, and I was pissed off. Because the one thing I knew about Tom Johnson was he couldn't fight Southpaws. So I knew when Prince knocked him out that he, it was because he couldn't fight Southpaws. So I knew that was going to happen anyway, right? And um, I went to England to challenge the Prince. But people don't know that I went to England before that. Remember Paul Hodgson was champion? Paul Hodgson that lost to Gordon Vargas? Yeah. I challenged, I went to England challenged him first when I was mandatory. I was the mandatory. So this is how long I've been flying, chasing the fighters to fight me, right? So I see the prints in this magazine. So I'm talking to HBO at the time. I'm the leader of featherweight they got, the only fighting language fighter they got. And I'm talking to them, and I see they said, I said, well, pay me some big money. They're like, what do you mean big money? And I'm like, big money, you know, you got me on here like me, the Hoya, Roy Jones. I said, I didn't really pay like these guys. He said, you need an opponent. So, of course, I buy Ring Magazine. I guess what I find in Ring Magazine? Chris, I see my man. Right? Never heard of him before, but now I see him, right? He fights a showtime. I'm on HBO. So I'll take it. Maybe I can use that. So I call my manager, Tom Loffer, right away. And I said, Tom, we need some play tickets. We're going to England, right? I went strictly to challenge him, right? And it wasn't about the bells. It, it was just about, you know, it was me making history. And I just, just felt, you know, I felt he's got it good over there in Europe. I had to bring that over here to America. Maybe he'll pay me to cut the checkbook, right? And um, I challenged him, and Frank Warren wasn't interested. Neither was he. 
because um, they didn't need me for anything. And because um, they thought, I think, Tom Johnson was the epitome of America, which it wasn't, because I knew that. Because Tom Johnson wouldn't fight me. It was and I'm in America. Why would, he, why would he fight me? So I said, okay. All right. So I left. I left the opening prince at eight. We talked. We had a good time. Uh, he turned pro like in 92. I fought Troy, I fought Troy Dorsey, 26 and 0 in 92. So obviously his whole career was in my career. And um, I've seen what he did. And I liked his whole show. I loved his show. I mean, I thought it was, it, it was good. You know, we had it in America before, Paez and Camacho. We've had that show before. But, you know, him doing it, maybe with me, it'd be something different. And um, I felt, wow, if he could get this guy to come to the States and fight with me, it'd be big. Because it was Showtime. A lot of people don't watch Showtime. And um, they told me no. <laughs> Shot. They told me no. So I was like, oh, my God. So what am I going to do now? Right? I think I fought again. I think I fought again after that trip. I had one fight, I believe. And I told Tom, we got to give. And then I heard that he wanted to come to the States. Right? They're like, great, Ron. Somebody told me. He was supposed to come to the States. Right? I said, oh, really? So people don't know that video on YouTube. We had no contract. He didn't know I was going to be there. He just used me as far as, you know, bragging. Oh, Kevin Kelly, come and see me. No, no, no. no. He didn't even know I was coming. So what happened was um, I told Tom, again, we're going there again. I figured consistency, well, eventually he'll, you know, he'll say yes. And I was coming to the States anyway. So why not stop in New York? So I jumped in the ring and I challenged him right there on the air. So to leave him in, in a position where he couldn't back out. Because he really didn't need me. He could have backed out. Um, and that's what got him to come to the garden, right? And uh, I felt, to me, I just felt it was going to be a, because people in America didn't know who he was yet, okay? And I just felt that it was going to be a, a stop him, I'm going to stop him, and that's going to be the end of it. And I'm going to have to look somebody else, right? Maybe Tracy Patterson, who knows, right? And that's what I felt about that first, you know, doing a promotion with it. And um, you got, they put him, they kind of did some things, the HBO did some things that were very good inspirational for me. Like put him on the side of a building when they never did that to me. So New York felt very disrespected. So I went and got this guy and then they pushed him. You know what I mean? They put him on the side of a building. They did commercial. They did this. They did and it was like it was like, wow, New York was very upset. So it was a good thing for New York because now you got New Yorkers are pissed off, right? And they want to see me win too. So now I'm able to sell more tickets. Right? So that's the whole idea of it. Sell the tickets, and everybody wants to see this fight now because the New York boy is getting mistreated. And articles coming out, I'm getting mistreated. They're doing this for the print, doing that for the print. They got a contract waiting for him if he wins. All kinds of things they never offered me. So that part was a benefit as far as the viewage of it because now people feel that the New York boy is being betrayed, right? Being sidetracked, side windows. Look at him, he's 47 and 1. And he's brought his way up to, to this, this pinnacle, and they treat him this way. It was crazy. So New York was very, very angry and very, very mad, okay, in the garden because they felt I was very mistreated. I felt mistreated. I went to just follow the press conference because everybody was treating, giving him all of his teams like he did something in America when I came up the hard way. You know what I'm saying? I had to come up. And I felt betrayed a little bit because I went and got him. He didn't know who he was. I brought him to Ludabella. He didn't know who he was. I said, no. This guy, who is that guy, right? So I felt very, very betrayed a little bit on the way they treated me in that promotion, you know? And it just put a spark into my behind. I think, you know, I think if there it wasn't so much uh, the spark, I would have been more in control, 
in that fight. I would have beat him like a postal postal win the fight. But I, it was it was you know unpredictableness and it makes greatness. And me and him made great fight, great fight. And he fights very similar to me. He's got some of my style in him, um, some of the things that he does. Um, I watch, you know, it's kind of funny. You know, I give a little credit to my ex-wife when I was fight, about to fight him. And I was thinking about how can I beat him? And she said to me, how would you beat yourself? And I said, wow, I never thought about that. And she said, he does a lot of things you do. Remember, he's before, you're before him, so he did see your whole career. Which Prince talked to me about a lot of my fights. So he did watch a lot of my fights. So he was way before you before him. So he knew, he knows what I can do. He knows I can punch with both hands. And we have a lot of similarities. We both switch, both fight righty hand, lefty. Um, so it's just that I was annoyed because it was, my opponents never get up. And that's what I said at the press conference. My opponents never get up. They like, they down, they out. His opponents get up. I said, and why they call him a harder puncher than me? I couldn't understand that. So it's a little more fuel to the fire. A little more fuel to the fire, you know? And actually, that fight made us actually very close friends. We still talk to this day. We talk from time to time. And um, the rematch I knew was never going to happen, but I tried it many times. Um, I'm too close to reality for him. You know what I'm saying? I'm way too close to reality. And, uh, you know, me, things like that happen to me that motivates me. It makes me a better, better fighter. It makes me even better, you know. Um, he retired, what, 2006, I believe he retired, or two. Like, his whole career was inside my career, you know. Yeah. Um, so, you know. You, everybody needs an adversary. You need an opponent. You need an opponent. Um, Michael Jordan needed the Knicks. You know what I'm saying? He needs your opponent. Batman needs, you know, you, you need your rivalry. You need your opposite. You know what I'm saying? It's Batman then it's a joker. You know? Um, you know, at that point, you know, there was no rematch for Dorsey. Didn't know, nobody wanted to see it. There was no rematch for Gaynor. We did rematch one time, but it was the garbage. It was, he just ran. And then for me and the Prince, it was the first people, first fight that people wanted to see a rematch in. In America, it put people, and I said, I had people say, Man, I was so mad, I was so angry. And I told people, it's because everything around that fight, the, the surrounding, but what they did to me in New York City, you know, the way they treated me is way too far. I felt very unfairly treated. So, and him coming from Europe and being treated better than me, people felt a little bit sidetracked in New York City. But that's what the fight needed. It needed that. No, come back in hindsight, because you know, people won't see New Yorkers are like the Rocky movie. We we're in the bottom, we're the gutter. And we come up and make it. You know what I'm saying? They they people like root for people like that. Okay, Donald Trump's from Queens. He's the president of the United States now. So people root for people like that. Okay? We root for people you know, we got the rappers that come out of the ghettos and, and make it to the top and, and that's what New York is really focused on. I'm the I'm the street kid from New York City from Brooklyn and Queens. Right, and I'm in big, major, major, major events. Of course, the New York was to put me back, and I'm and I and I fight with everything I got. You know what I'm saying? So, but the biggest thing with that fight was, um, I would say, is the disappointment that the New York felt when the referee stopped the fight. You know, the the last knockdown when I rolled over on my knee, I was looking at my trainer, I was looking to slow down, I was going too fast. But Prince, I was being out of control. He hit me. He had me out of control. I give him credit. He had me. I was out of control. You know, he told me that he didn't know where he was for the first three rounds. And so we both faced our first sense of something new that was going on. I was out of control. He was a little bit phased and didn't know where he was. So we both were going. To, but it's hard for our trainers to control us because we were dealing with other factors in the ring. <laughs> okay? And, and the bottom line was I was throwing missiles at him, right? And he... And he was trying to avoid him. And it was like he was, he was in his box, but he would droop around 
before, he had regrouped quicker than I regrouped. And I was just running at the punches because I kept getting up from everything he threw. So I was like, all right, cool. That was all right. Let's go. You know? And one time he was out, so I felt I hit the harder than two. So I felt when I hit him, mine's going to do way more damage than his. So the thing was, you know, I took it for granted. I was running in, running in, and I gave him credit for it. He do an overhand, over, with the overhand left. He do an overhand left to come inside of my head. And I was falling off down at the same time as it hit me. And I hit the ground. And when I hit the ground, I rolled on my knee real fast. And I'm saying to myself, Kevin, you're an idiot. You know what I'm saying? Really, I'm really, you're an idiot. You know, psychologically, I was a wreck. And I was looking at Phil trying to regroup, but the, the rough counting, you know. And I hit nine, and then I snap back in. I get up to where they stop the fight. And Benji Anthony just grabs me, you know. And my trainer had said to Benji in the dressing room, don't stop this fight. Everything will go down. I guarantee it. Don't stop this fight. So that was a big discussion, you know. And, and um, the out of controlness and being Prince was so cocky and arrogant, you know, people like to see him lose, right? So some people in Europe just talk to me. I like, ah, I beat that guy. So it was actually me and him make a great, you know, he's my, he's my, 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 my partner. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, I didn't have the same thing with Dorsey or Lloyd Gaynor that I had with him. You know what I'm saying? With him, he's that fight that, the rematch that never happens. He's that, like, if Ali Frazier fought the first time and never fought again, that people want to see to this day. Okay, he's my, my partner because he, you need a guy like him. You know, I, every time I, some people see me in the street, they say, Kelly Prince, oh, my God. You know what I'm saying? That fight did a lot of, I thought it was going to happen and go away. That's what I really thought it was going to happen. I didn't think much of it. I really, really, really did. Maybe I thought more than I was one fight. You know what I'm but I really didn't think much of it because at that point, I'm 47 and 1, and I'm thinking, you know, myself, I want to fight Junior Jones. He won't fight me either. But I was thinking at that point, I'm going to go, hang on to get this guy over here. You know what I'm saying? This is crazy. This is crazy. You know, and, and I told Prince, I told Prince, he don't understand how I came up and how he came up. So he was like giving a golden ticket. You know what I'm saying? He had to win fights, of course, but, but he was groomed. You know what I'm saying? I had to, I had to kick the door down and open my space up. You know what I'm saying? It's two different careers. I'm open door kicking my so but that fight actually put the fight Barrera, Morales, all these other guys that came after us and put them make the millionaires because of that fight. That was the kick door the kick down the door fight that put the put us in put in position. As I looking back in hindsight, I looked at that fight as my door opener. I needed him to do it, he needed me to do it. You know? Um we needed that because boxing is about great fights and you need opponents, you need great matchups that people remember forever. And to this day, they're going to mention in my top three, they're going to mention me and the Prince every single time. And they're going to mention me and Dorsey and me and Gaynor every single time. I'm a, I got 72 pro fights. I don't hear about Goya Vargas. I don't hear about Luis Noza. I don't hear about uh, Edwin Santana. I don't hear about nobody but those three fights. You know what I'm saying? And every single time. And it's a European. I'm going to hear about the Prince because he's from Europe. I expect that. And um, I'm going to hear about people from Detroit, Dorsey, because New Yorkers, they've seen that fight. And Gaynor. And those three fights are the epitome of who I am. You know what I'm saying? And those three fights right there are probably, I, I looked at it as some of the greatest fights that I've had. You know what I'm saying? But I also count Ricardo Rivera in because I had to save myself for that fight, too. So I was I give all my credit to God, man, to God, all of it, because I didn't know I had it in me. He put it in me, and for me to have the fortitude to come back the way I knock guys out like I do is amazing. It's amazing to me too. So I'm a spectator of 
the Flushing Flash, not Kevin Kelly. <laughs> Kevin Kelly is a fan of Flushing Flash too because, you know, those things that I pull out my hat somehow, you know, and how to get rid of guys is, is, is a blessing. Yeah, and I mean, just, you know, it's truly, truly a blessing. Just to recap on on the fight, obviously you had him down in the first round and the second. He had you down in the second and the fourth. His glove hit the canvas in the fourth, which obviously was ruled a knockdown. Then you yeah. were down in the fourth. But you know, just again, like you hit him with some brilliant, brilliant shots, and I've never seen him react as bad to to any shots he'd ever been hit with but, after that. Even you yeah. know, you you really hit him with some brilliant I'm... shots. What was his power like, though? Some people obviously love him. Some people hate him. Some people say he was underrated. Some people say he was overrated. How good was he, honestly, in your yeah. opinion? Um, he fought like me. Like uh, he's a very good fighter. I think me personally, he's a good boxer. Um, you know, I think me personally, you know, he. To me, at 30, I have 45, you know what I'm saying? When my shots hit him, it was, it was shaking. I mean, I knocked him out of his shoes, he told me. So I was obviously the harder puncher because I don't think he would have killed him to 35 or 40 like I did. But um, I felt that my power was unappreciated by the press and the media, and his was expected. And the bottom line was, you know, Trent, you know, he asked me in sport, well, I was the hardest puncher hit for. No, no, he wasn't. Post punching power is perception. I tell everybody. It don't mean because I say that all the punch I fought that he didn't hit hard. You get my point? It's just that he, he don't hit. He hits hard because he knocked me down, of course. Right? But the thing is, you know, is that the hardest I mean, I jumped right up, but is that the hardest punch? No. Coyle Vargas was the hardest puncher I just got in the ring with, puncher power-wise. And I told that to Mayweather before he fought him, and Mayweather agreed with me. Okay? Coyle Vargas is like a mule. Right? We don't know where the power comes from, but it's like a mule. You know, um, James Pitts is another guy who I knocked out, but he is a very, very hard puncher. Um, you know, punching power is perception. Okay? It's perception. Like, he might have fought Tom Johnson, and if he said to me, I think Tom Johnson is harder than you, that's perception. It'll make him wrong. You know what I'm saying? Because punching power is what you think. If a guy hits you, right, and one guy hits you, another guy hits you, another guy hits you, you might say, this guy is harder, but this guy says, I'm stronger than the other guy. How can I hit harder than me? It's not the detail of it. You know what I'm saying? It's what perception is. My perception. He could, he could punch a little bit, of course, to put me down. But did he have staying power? No. But the thing was, and like I told him in the press conference, if you watch his knockouts and watch mine, my guys don't get up. So when I hit him, he, he's, he's so flexible. He's like Payet. He's so flexible. When you hit him, he, he absorbs the shot. It's amazing. It's amazing to have you watch it. It's amazing. I told him, you're, you're amazing. Because when I hit you, those shots I hit him with, nope, they never got up. And I'm talking, if that was anybody else, they wouldn't have got, got up. It would have been over. Pretty tall. Yeah. Take them all piece out, and he didn't get up. Right? But because he's so flexible, and he does the jaw gymnastic stuff, that he was able to absorb the shots. You know what I'm saying? His, I could see it all. When I hit him, it's like his whole back would arch. Amazing. It's amazing. It truly is. It's truly amazing. But like I said, but I knew those same shots. Those are the same shots they gained away. He ain't gonna get up. You know what I'm saying? And I got a lot of knockers in my career. You can see, when I got the same punches I hit him with, they, they don't get up. You know what I'm saying? They're down. So it definitely surprised me a little bit when he took the one he took with his glove touched the ground and I hit him twice like that. I'm surprised he took that. I'm surprised that I was very shocked that he took that. You know what I'm saying? And like I said, I was shocked. And I just felt I wasn't catching him right. You know what I'm saying? But the plan, the, the strategy for Prince was to knock him out around seven because so, he can't recover. That was the goal plan. That's what we had trained to do. It wasn't early as it was. What happened was when I got out of control, 
Phil was trying to guide me back in control the first, the second, and third round. I wanted him out as fast as I could get him out. I want the fight to be over. You know what I'm saying? Because I, I, I didn't feel that in that fight it was big. I had turned into a monster when it was over. But I didn't feel that fight was going to be like what it is now. You know what I'm saying? I look at it like that. I look at it like, he's a guy doing some tricks like Pius used to do with Camacho. Right? I'm going to knock him out and, be, and move on. So hopefully I get Tom Johnson in the ring or his other guys. I didn't think it was going to be that big. But you never know. And when it turns into a monster, the next day when I, when I woke up Sunday morning, right, all of a sudden the phones are ringing, the ratings are crazy, everything's good. I'm like, wow. So I'm pretty impressed. So like I said, he became he became a Batman robber. We've been Batman, you know what I'm saying? Uh, the rematch, you know, I would have loved to have it. I would have loved to have it. He wasn't going to do it. I, I can't say I understand him because I would have did it for him. You know what I'm saying? But I'm too dangerous for him. You know, and he knew it. But the thing was, what can you say? You know what I'm saying? I felt that the epitome of my career would have been a rematch with him. And that was late in my career. And I, I wasn't actually a young a young buck anymore, you know, when I, by that time. So, realistically, you know, 97, remember, I turned pro in 88. So, we're looking at nine years in the tooth there, you know, in my 30s. You know what I'm saying? Um, and that's, that's actually, I was vacated the BU belt for that fight. Um, after after that, I was still champion of the world actually, but it'd be you. But I vacated the belt, and uh, I moved up to thirty five. I beat him Berto Soto, so I was still beating guys. So it was amazing. It, it was even for me, it was amazing, you know. But um, the rematch, we offered some money to buy a few million dollars. I heard, I heard about it, and I ought to accept it, but he didn't accept the fight. But I heard he was going to do the rematch in the buy. Um, I don't know who's going to do it or put it together, but. I heard some rumors. I don't know if it was rumors or fault. I told my manager, Tom, I said, let's do that. If, you know what I'm saying? If that's going to be in the box, let's go. You know, in America, that's an income. You know what I'm saying? We look at it as income. And uh, I have nothing to prove. I proved it already. You know, the two-time world champ, I had five belts, two junior worlds, one, one, you know, BU, BC. So to me, I had nothing to prove. I was on HBO. I was on the like, we started it. I mean, you know what I'm saying? There's nothing left to prove in, in boxing but make money. And uh, if me and Prisca did it together, that's what I was going to but together, you know, I created my own little niche by doing that fight. And uh, it seemed like me and him had a niche, but you, I need my partner. You got to want to step up. You know what I'm saying? You got to want to do it. You know, and uh, Prince told me, he said, you know, I'll I, I fight anybody. I'll fight Barrera before I fight you. Ever. Ever. And I, I understand the styles make fights. And um, I'm not approved. Like I said, you know, he's, he's a good boxer. Like I said, it's very hard to beat. With, like, but he didn't come up like I did. You know what I'm saying? He didn't come up like I did. You read, you read the numbers. You, you see the guys, you see the record. The numbers don't lie. And, and he didn't come up like I did. And I, it looks like the Europeans, because I fought a lot in Europe. You look at my record. I got a lot of fights in Holland. Virginia Torres, my partner. You know what I'm saying? And we fought in Holland a lot. So um, I see how the Europeans do things. I like the way you're doing them over there. I sell a, you make events. You know what I'm saying? You make events. You know? And um, it's an amazing thing. Here in America, I'm competing with everybody from Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods. All these guys have them compete against. So, you know, it's a little harder to make it here in America. Very hard to make it in America, you know, because you're competing against so much. You know, we got too much, too much music, too much this, too much that. We overwhelmed, we over, and it changes quickly. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? This guy's great. Oh, no, push him out the way. You know, so it's just crazy in America. It's very difficult yeah. to be on a level that I was on and maintain it and hold it. Because you need your partners to make great games, and that's the bottom line. There's no such thing as great fighters, only great fights. 
Yeah, and you, you two were each other's dance part, partner, if you like. Um, going back to the timeline, Kev, obviously, you know, five months later, you, you get the win against Vincent Howard. Then you have the rematch with Derek Gaynor. What happened in that one there? So Gaynor was running. I really didn't want the fight. I turned the fight down over and over. I didn't want it. I knocked him out in the eighth round. What did I need a rematch for? Right? Roy Jones doubled the purse. What am I supposed to do? I make a that's how I, that's how I, that's how I feed my kids, right? So Roy Jones doubled the purse. Then the first one, I'm like, oh my God, he doubled the purse. I got to kill this, right? At that time, I vacated my belt. Be used for that for the belt in the garden, right? Gannon wants to want to win on me. I told Gannon, I told Smoke on the phone. I said, for Smoke, it doesn't mean anything. Do I knock you out of it? I said, that's like, that's like Tommy Hearns asking a hang for a rematch. I said, are you serious? Right? I said, it doesn't matter now. It's over, right? I said, it's over. I said, let's say accidentally you win somebody, right? I said, anyway, I said, only what's going to satisfy is you. The public ain't going to feel it. They're going to see it. Right? So, after I say, yeah, Roy Jones doubled the purse. I'll say, yeah, of course. And uh, he's fighting the gun. He runs. And I just, they give him two fake knockdowns. Hits me in the shoulder one time. Another time, he hits me behind the head. They call it. I'm like, what? I'm pissed off. But he gets when I told him after the fight was over. I said, no, can I get a W? Let's see what it does for you. <laughs> did nothing for him, just like I said. But then he went on to become world champion after that. Yeah, because he gets a title shot against Freddie Norwood and went to belt. It was an ugly, ugly win. Okay, very ugly win. But he becomes world champion after that. I wanted to go on and beat Soto. He becomes world champion, three-time world champion after that. So, and this is late in my career. And I'm hearing talk of Prince coming back. At that time, I'm fighting lightweight. I'm not even fighting featherweight no more. And uh, after fight, I told you I something in Dubai, but I don't know where it went. So. Took off somehow, so hmm. you know, and you know, it was, it was, my career was winding down. Yeah, like I said, you know, I spent a lot of time. Guys won't fight me. They don't want to fight me. They give me draw me of a decision. Fight different guys. You know, it's crazy. You know, what I'm saying they only want to win. They want, they're gonna get a win. But I'm not, I'm not a guaranteed win because I, I knock guys out. That's what I do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I understand as a promoter, I'm dangerous. I got it. You know what I'm saying? But even with, but top ranks stopped using me because I kept beating the fighters. <laughs> I, I, I beat three of the fighters in a row that they, they were supposed to win. I knocked them all three out, and then top ranks stopped using me. So boxing slowly pushes you out the game anyway. Yeah. Yeah, again, we've seen. You know what I'm saying? But you're not signed to a promoter. Yeah, you're not. Because yeah. you're not a benefit for them. And I got it. It's a business. It's a business. It is a business. And again, you know, in that same year after that, after the, the, the Gainer rematch, you know, you stop former world title challenger Jorge Ramirez in nine in California. You then move uh, in, into 1999. You outpoint eventual two-time world title challenger Hesk, uh, Hector Velasquez in Las Vegas over 10. That's when that strange fight happens. Three months later, that unanimous loss in a 10-rounder to Benito Rodriguez, who had a losing record at the time. What happened there? Yeah, I beat him. I beat him years ago. He's the same guy. You know that, right? I knocked him out. I fought that same guy. I knocked him out. Oh, this is funny. Okay. I go to I go to the street for the, I go, I go to where, where, where's the fight at? I remember the fight, but where's the fight was it? Where was it at? Um, it was in Louisiana. Okay, so I go to Louisiana. I was I don't know why I took the fight. I, I was just fighting just to make income, right? And I go down there and I see this guy and I go, I look, it's kind of familiar. He changed his name. I'm not going to do that. Change his name. I think I knocked this guy. I knocked him out um, in my career. Look him up. His name was uh, something else. And my, I think it was my eighth or ninth pro fight. I knocked him out up in um, upstate New York. Uh, it's on my record. It's actually my record. I beat the same guy. 
So I knocked him out. I see him again. And I'm like, what the hell? Right? And I'm like, this guy, he's got a different name. I fought that guy. Right? So I go in the ring with him. I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just going through the motions. At that point in my career, I'm just going through the motions. Right? And he wins the decision. So I'm thinking to myself, how the hell did this guy win? Right? So if you watch that fight, you're like, you're like what the hell's going on? So I didn't pay no mind to it. I'm like, all right, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Or whatever. It was, it was like his record was going gonna to go somewhere with this thing. You know what I'm saying? And um, it was kind of strange. It was kind of very, very strange. Because I stopped him in the sixth round with the left hand. I never stopped him. I got the fight on film. That's crazy. His name was something else. His name was something else. I, I, I was, he was like, my, he was an opponent for me. Like, well, I'll be coming. Like, like but I'm 9 or 10 and 0. I stopped him. But it was straight left hand. That's crazy, man. I think Gil Clancy was the commentator. Right, I stopped it. So he, so I was at that point in my career, you know, it was about a, lack, a lack of motivation, a lack, not a lack of dedication, but lack of motivation, lack of, you know, this is the, what, what direction am I going in now? I was pretty much, you know, trying to get hurt. That was my biggest thing at that point in my career. But at the same time, maybe I'll fall into a, ch- a check. You know what I'm saying? A nice check somewhere. But knowing that I'm not signed to any promoters, Nobody's going to give me a check because no top ranks looking at me, he ain't looking at me. If there's any other promoter looking at me, he's going to say, well, you know what I'm saying? I'm too dangerous to fight against and not going to get him a guaranteed win. So, you know what I'm saying? I could see the space I was in. You know what I'm saying? But the only thing that was out there was really was everybody wants to still see their, their rematch for me in the Prince. So when they mentioned it, right, of course I jumped at it, okay? But he had, he's retiring already. You know what I'm saying? He was like, he, he's gone. So it was like, it was a very hard place to live in. But, you know, like I said, America, we got a lot harder than guys in Europe and other countries. Because, you know, when, you, when you're when you a fighter, that's what you do for a living. You know what I'm saying? That's what you do for a living. So the days were numbered. You know, I was getting older. Um, I was still dangerous, still training. Still my reflexes, but I didn't have the same motivation I had, you know, coming up. But I was still beating guys. You know what I'm saying? So, you, you were. And then I, I don't matter. Yeah, because five know? months and, later, you know, they put you in with the undefeated prospect at the time, Frankie Archuleta, and you took his O, didn't you? You stopped him in nine. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah that was... Oh, that, that was a knockout. Yeah. That was a bad knockout, too. That's what I'm saying. So that's, um, that, that's why the promoters didn't want to put you in with their young guns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, also, also I was going to sugar shame multi-card. He fought Woody Wise and Brandon Forrest fought Vince Phillips. I was a triple header, yeah. right? They put me in the car, like almost uh, not really last minute, but I had like two months before. And they thought, you know, and Shane did me a favor, put me on. And um, it was a TV fight, Hard Rock. The only show was Brennan Forrest, and I, mean, I just barely made it. But um, Frank Dazzanella was a, actually a good fighter, I guess, from New Mexico. And I remember stopping him. I remember, I remember I, he got knocked out bad. Like I said, that's what amazed me about the Prince. I hit him with shots that I had other guys with. They ain't getting out. Once I touch him, I had they gone. I know, it's gone. He was absorbing the punches. It was an amazing thing to watch because he's so flexible that when I hit him, he absorbed the shots. Yeah. Yeah, and eight months later, you're back against Eric Morales in Texas. Um, yeah, tell us about yeah. that fight there. Obviously, you were over there. Well, that, that all, the, the Morales-Morales stuff, all that stuff was at a weight I didn't exist no more in, okay? And that was good promotion, what they did on the end, but uh, good money to me, give me get paid. So, Morales, I fought in 11 days' notice. Wow. I had to lose, I had to lose 12 pounds in 11 days. 
So Morales fight was a setup. Morales fight was just a TV fight using my name. I'm not the same, you know what I'm saying? Fighting at featherweight. Because I wanted to fight Morales and Morera when I was a featherweight. And HBO went and put him against me because I was a destroyer. So, so by this time in my career, by my, this time of my age, by this time I'm a, I'm a lightweight, and how that fight came about was um, they asked me would I fight Morales. And I said, yeah, and I'm thinking at lightweight. And I stepped the fight, and then I come to find out two days later, I got away 126 or no fight. So if you pay me six figures and I've been getting two, you know what I'm going to do, right? <laughs> I'm going to say, okay. I'm going to say, okay. And, uh, and hopefully, and the fight wasn't stopped because I was taking punches. The fight was stopped because my corner was waving a white towel because Tom thought that, this is what Tom said before the fight. He said, Kevin, we're going to fight the last 30 seconds. You know, the whole, the whole trick. Last 30 seconds of round because they had to lose 11 pounds. There was kind of concern for me. 11 pounds in like, you know, 12 pounds in like 11 days. So, and I'd be featherweight. Remember, the last fight I fought featherweight was Prince. I had fought featherweight. I, once I fought Prince, I was no longer a featherweight. I was a lightweight. So, so I got to make one twenty-six. So I made twenty-six. So Tom's idea was, okay, this is what we're gonna do. I'm gonna let you know. Last thirty seconds, with him, right? So, I, I remember that guy, the referee, Lawrence Cole. Lawrence Cole's referee, and Tom was waving a towel. And after the fight stopped, I looked at Lawrence Cole. So why he stopped the fight? He said. Your trainer was waving. Uh, your trainer was waving the towel. So I asked him on the locker room. Tom was waving the towel because he thought it was thirty seconds. The clock went behind. He forgot to do the stopwatch. It was stupid. So I lost that one, right? Oh. And I told Morales after the fight, "Can we fight a lightweight?" I asked him. I said, "Can we fight a lightweight?" Right? I wanted to fight him at lightweight. Because when I was knocked off Frank Gasoletta, I was going to fight David Diaz for the world title. You know, she pulled out. That's when I fought Frank Gasoletta. Because they said, "If you beat Frank Gasoletta, because he didn't want him to win. If you beat Frank Gasoletta." Well, let's fight David Diaz. But so I knocked him out. David Diaz said no. Gosh. So I was used to that in my career like that. So I fought Morales on 11 days' notice. Right? So I told Morales, I told him to fight a lightweight. I was going to you a featherweight. Right? I had to walk around 40, 42, 43, train, stay around that weight. So I fought 35. I was pretty good. You know what I'm saying? But I knew that fight was a throwaway. You know what I'm saying? Who first to throw away? You know, the body shot down. So I was, I was half myself, less than half myself. Matter of fact, yeah, definitely. Same twenty six. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it wasn't me. It wasn't it wasn't Kevin Kelly. He's beating. He's beating. He's beating the legend of Kevin Kelly. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So the thing was, like, I was like, eh. No, that's. I didn't care. Like I said, at that point, like, you know. And then the Barrera thing was also the same thing. I put Barrera to fracture rib. I had to make subway for him too. So, like I said, those are two fights that, you know, I divulge it, but it is what it is, that I fought them in a weight class that I no longer existed in. You know what I'm saying? By that time, you know, 2003, I was, I was fighting lightweight. You know, so I fought Morales at featherweight and I fought Barrera at featherweight. You know, good management. They had good management, good promotion, but, but they were offering good money. Like I said, nobody's paying me that kind of money they were paying me at that time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, completely. So, so, so the bottom line yeah. So, so like, like we say, you know, after the Morales fight, you took off nineteen months before coming back. You, you, uh, you come back with three wins. Obviously, the win against uh, Raul Franco. Then, of course, Humberto Soto. Um, then mm-hmm. Johnny West. I beat Soto. It's funny story. I beat Soto with one arm. You know that, right? I hurt my arm, spawn way more color. I spawn way more color for the fight. And it was for the BU title, right? I mean, the, the um, NBO title. Yeah. NBO hit the Latin in Vegas. NBA. And Tom go. Yeah, and, and, right. And Tom goes, Kevin, you win this belt. Tom, Kevin, I get you a title fight. I said bet. Right. I heard my arm spawn way McCullough the week before the fight. I was taking celebrants, right? Anti-inflammatory. So my wife at the time says, 
you off Titans fight with a hurt arm? I said, hell yeah. Hell yeah. So I felt, I didn't, right? I didn't know how, how good, but I didn't care how good Bertolo was. I didn't care nothing about him. And matter of fact, I tried to fight the guy that beat him Bertolo named Alex Rodriguez. He, I watched the tape. And Tom took the tape and he said, I said, I want Alex, I want the guy that won. I was here, beat Bertolo. And Alex turned me down. So I said, I'll take Bertolo then. I never even heard of him. But it's for the belt. Like I said, motivation. That's motivation. You win this, I can just tell you, okay, good. I'm motivated. I hurt my arm, my right arm, jabbing, way more color. You got some rain about this one day. I do a jab. He caught my jab, pulled the leg in my right arm. I go to the doctor. I'm going to celebrate. Can't tell nobody I'm hurt, right? I go after him. I'm going to win this fight. Watch this. And I go win the fight. 12-round decision. I beat Humberto Soto. Wow. Yeah, that's a brilliant win again. And guess what? And then he wins 19 fights after that in a row. Wow. 19 fights after I beat him with one arm. And then he wins a world title. Then he wins another world title, another world title. And this is after I beat him with one arm. Crazy. Either me, even for me, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, he's still... That just shows how I'm motivated. He's still a decent fighter today, even. <laughs> yeah. You know? It just shows that I'm motivated. I can beat anybody. The bottom line is, like I said, you know, late in the career, it's like, you know, you, 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 you've only won on 10 so much. You know what I'm saying? Like, people want me to be on my 10, but... As you get older and as I got less things to shoot for, I can't stay on 10. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And this is all the stuff you're talking about is after the first fight. <laughs> if you can think about it, that's a third, a third career. Not even first or second, that's a third career. This is after the first fight. About six or seven careers in one. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's crazy. And people, like I said, you know, it's crazy. And like, you know, I look at it even like, I'm like crazy. Like, you know, my mother, I, uh, one thing I was always back to, my mother always told me, Kevin, be the best. Be the best. You know what I'm saying? And that's what, even as an older gentleman, I was doing. Right? And I, I just, it just, this just came time where I would, I'll be up in roller coaster. I'll be okay. And I want to do it. And I'll be done. I don't want to do it no more. There's got to be something else for me out there. I don't want to do it. But then, if they try to challenge my way, something I'm supposed to lose, that's why I win fights. Because I know you're bringing me in to lose. And that's not going to happen. You know what I'm saying? That's not going to happen. So that's what gets me motivated. So you can motivate me, watch out. You know, and that's what happens with Virtual Soto and a lot of these guys. You know what I'm saying? And uh, Golden Boy stopped fighting me. So I knocked a few of their fighters out. So they stopped using me. You know, Top Rank stopped using me. So I, I started getting blackballed. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and that's crazy. But, yeah, you spoke about the Marco Antonio Barrera fight briefly. Um yeah, that that obviously was 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 another big fight of yours. But after that, you put together another four fight win streak, including a knockout win in only two rounds against former three time world title challenger Juan Carlos Ramirez. Before boxing Bobby Pacquiao in a fight that that took place at the Madison oh, that was crazy. Garden, four round TKO uh, loss for yourself, June tenth, yeah. two thousand and six. What do you remember about that one, Kev? Well, what happened was, like I said, motivation. I'm not, I'm just around, I'm really just a straggler, right? I'm straggling around, hoping I trip and fall in something big, right? And the the fight comes up, and I'm like, ah, I don't want this. For what? It's got 12 losses, 15 losses, something like that, right? I'm like, for what? And I get this endorsement. It's going to give me 20 grand to, to wear a patch. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. So I need, now I need to fight, right? So I'm like, all right, cool. So they throw Bobby in there. I'm supposed to fight somebody else. I'm like, all right, throw Bobby in there. I'm like, all right, cool. I'll take it, whatever, right? I just want to get in the ring to get the check, right? I'm not really as motivated as I should be. 
Did I know it? I don't know. I think he was a. I think I. I, I don't. I looked at it on film. I just felt like my ribs collapsed. Right, my ribs collapsed. So him with a body shot. I guess. I guess he was a body. Shot. And it took more effect than it should. I think it, it got the Barrera rib. I think it's the same rib that Barrera, that, you know, I fractured my rib. Um, it's a Barrera fight. But how that happened was I was up in training in the desert in, in uh, Coachella, in the desert. And I had to come down to featherweight. Um, on Thursday, I was fine. But on Friday, Phil, my trainer, wanted me to spar again. I said, Phil, we shouldn't push this envelope. I'm featherweight. I haven't been featherweight since when? Morella fight and the Prince fight. Let's not take it for granted. We did. I threw a punch. I missed. I twisted my rib cartilage. So I had a bad injury over there. I guess he must have hit it, right? And I could not get up. I was paralyzed. But it did me a favor. Let me tell you what happened. You don't know what happened in this fight. Before this fight, okay, they charged me to fight Carlos from Mosa Hernandez. Remember that? I'd be a former ever champion in the world, right? Yeah, we had him on the They charged me to fight him, yeah. right? Now, he said no. He said no. He told me no. And I said, oh, I love the fight Carlos. Let's, let's shoot for another champion, right? So give me, at this point, my friendly motivation. So I don't mind fighting Carlos from Mosa Hernandez. So I fight Bobby. Bobby gets to win. Okay, congratulations, Bobby. You're going to win it, right? Congratulations. Formosa calls us up and wants to fight me now. So, of course, there you go again. You're doing the wrong thing, but you're doing the right thing for me. You're motivating me because now you think you can win. Of course, oh, Bobby, Bobby can't spar with me. What are you talking about? But at the end of the day, guess what? Okay, I'll take the fight. My, ex, my ex-wife, is my daughter, that's right. She's pregnant. She's about nine. Let's see. Yeah, she's, she's pregnant. The in Texas. I'll never forget it. The in Texas. And she delivers the baby, right? I'm in the hospital, right? And I get the call from Tom. And Tom says, Kevin, call from most of the nanas, call, and he wants to fight you. This is after the Barbie fight. So my ex-wife thinks, well, she's messing up now, but she thinks my, I should retire because after the Barbie, rather than the Harbor, I'm thinking uh, I need that motivation. So and that, that was motivation for me because I needed something so bad to happen to me so I can arrive to the occasion, right? So I got the perfect story. Huh? Bobby beats me. So congratulations. Now, everybody thinks my career is over. Oh, really? So Formosa calls Tom and wants to fight me now. But he turned me down. So I felt so betrayed. So I go, yes. My wife is tripping out. She's like, are you serious? Are you serious? I said, don't worry about it. I'm going to fight easy. She's like, are you serious? All right, we just had a baby. and All oh, this craziness, right? I said, don't worry about it. It's like two months away from now. Right, <laughs> so, so, she thinks I'm crazy, right? I'm gonna show you how scared everybody was, right? Tom didn't even show up. This is how crazy this is. Tom doesn't even show up. He's the manager. He don't show up. Our team, and that's it, right? My wife doesn't want to show up. So what happened was, um, she called me. Two days before the fight, she don't want to be this. Today, but going to get massacred. That's why I love this. I'm like, oh, my God. Watch what I do then, right? And I needed this motivation. I got the motivation again. So she don't want to come. Two days before the fight, she decides to call and to buy me a ticket. I'm being there. I buy her a ticket, fly her and the baby out, right? So now she's in Texas. I'm in Texas. because everybody's scared because my first loss, guess where that happened? Donald Gonzalez in Texas. So they think that I have a bad omen in Texas. So, and I'm, and I'm trying to, after fighting Bobby, I'm going to fight Formosa. Are you serious? So I'm like, okay, no problem. I got this easy. Trust me. Right? So I fight Formosa. Right? And you know what happened. 
I dropped him in the fourth round and had him knocked out cold. Cold, right? Had him hurt, beat him easy, right? And I told him this in the press conference. I said, thank you, Formosa. We're friends to this day. We talk all the time. I talked to Formosa. I talked to Dorsey. And I told Formosa, I said, Formosa, I said, listen, I want to thank you. I need adversity. I need, I hope they think that you're going to beat me. I hope they, I told them this. I said, I hope they think, I said, Formosa, you're a hell of a fighter. You're a hell of a fighter. I said, but let me tell you something. You can't beat me. You can't. Right? Because I know a lot of guys can't beat me because they just don't got the reflexes or the speed. They just don't got it. So I told him, you're not going to beat me. I tr- trust me, you're not going to beat me. Right? And I told him this at the press conference. I told him this. And, of course, I beat him. And, of course, I'm rejuvenated again, right? <laughs> but people don't understand. It was the motivation that people were giving me that I had when I was coming up. I was getting it back in sports, bits and, bits and pieces. Okay? That's what makes me rise to the occasion because that's what I need. It comes in bits and pieces. That makes more sense. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I beat Samosa. That was a great thing. I mean, I'm, you know what I'm saying? And we tried this day. We go, we cool. But like, like I said, these are great challenges. You know, that's what makes great fights. Yeah, and like I said, we had him on last week's show. We spoke about the fight. It just seems like when you look back over your career, you know, there were so many times where I guess a lot of people thought you were dumb, but then you'd pull a big win out of out of your hat and surprise everyone, and everyone was backtracking. It uh, seems like the story yeah, of your course, career. Yeah. Um, six yeah, weeks. Yeah, the big thing. Sorry, yeah. go on, Kev. Go on. Because the big thing, like I said, my my goal is motivation, right? When I was coming up, it's easy to be motivated because everybody is more than me. So I'm saying when everybody got more than you, it's easier for you to be motivated. But when you got more than everybody else, then it's hard to stay motivated. So the bottom line is, you know, I'm supposed to win. I've been supposed to win my whole career. Okay? Undefeated, 10 and 0, 20 and 0, 30 and 0, 40 and 0. You know what I'm saying? Undefeated. That's crazy. So the bottom line is I'm supposed to win. That's a harder position to fight for. You understand? Then once you put me in a position where you've got a guy, you got me underdog against Luis Fernandez. You got me underdog against Carlos Ramos Hernandez. You got me, you know what I'm saying? On those, those circumstances, those are like, okay, that's an easy win for me. Because now you're motivating me. I'm a bad dude to motivate. I'm the wrong guy to motivate. So they didn't realize that I wouldn't say that to the press, not because it would put them on cue. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to hurt them. I want them to think, like Luis Fernandez. Four to one underdog. How can I be four to one underdog? I take that as a disrespect. I'm four to one underdog. Really? Oh, watch this. And, and and that motivation, when I go to the gym, I fight like I never fought before. I box like I never boxed before. I'm faster. I'm quicker. I hit harder. I'm better. I'm faster. I got something to shoot for. You know? It's like the rematch of the Prince. I already got it. I already got it. Because I was supposed to win the first one. Okay. Watch this. You know what I'm saying? Now nah, he's going to be a different fighter. He's going to be a different fighter this time because he's not the fighter you expect. I change my style every time. I change my style to do sharper things, fight with, fight smarter. I know Barrera watched the tape to the, the fight the Prince. I know he watched the tape. But he just keep your composure. You know what I'm saying? But he makes you lose composure. I even sparred with Augie Sanchez when Augie Sanchez fought the Prince. I sparred him for that fight. And he put the Prince down, what, three times, two times? I told him. And I told him over and over and over again. I said, listen, you can win this fight. Just hold it on. I said, but all you have to do is keep your composure. Don't get excited. Do not get excited. Keep your composure. I said, you got a chance of dropping him because Augie's punch very short. I spot Augie's tactics all the time. And I spot him for the fight. He just I wasn't trying to go against the Prince, but you know what I'm saying? And he, he, I was just paying me money to spar him. So I was okay. Right? And I told him, get some instructions. For this. Just keep your composure. Do not get overzealous. Do not. He'll take advantage of you. You get overzealous. And that's, exactly what Prince, that's all you did. And he got knocked out. Yeah. 
and, and the final fight I'm going to ask you about of your career, Kev, six weeks after that win over over um, Carlos Hernandez, you're back out boxing former five-time world champion Manuel Medina. Uh, you lost a majority decision, a close fight over 12 rounds back at the Madison Square Garden. That was crazy. Uh, was that kind of like your last hurrah, if you like? But tell us about the fight, of course. Everybody in the arena thought that I got robbed. That's what they said. And I felt that way, too. I mean, I had him knocked out. They told me I had to knock him out. Um, Medina, I went to fight Medina for years. And it just never it never came together. Um, but that fight, I can watch it. I, th- I thought I was overpowering him. I was strong. I was strong arm in him. Um, he had pity pat punches. I didn't think he was that much. You know what I'm saying? Um, I watched it just to, to view it. I thought that, how can I lose? This is the bad part. This is the major, major bad part. How do I lose a fight on my own manager promotion in New York City at the Garden? Does that make sense to you? And he'll fight against Mexican? Now, if I fought him in Mexico, I would, I would, I would, I'm guaranteed to lose. Correct? <laughs> yeah. I'm guaranteed to lose. Right? I'm guaranteed. Even if I win, I lose. So I was thinking, okay, I got to knock this guy out. We're in the Garden. Right? We're in the Garden. I got to push that hard. And guess what? He got a decision on me. A majority. Really close. Majority decision. You know how those go. Right? So I'm thinking to myself, you know, of course, everybody in New York is pissed off because the bottom line is, you know, how do I lose a decision in the garden? I told Tom, are you serious? This is your promotion. How can I lose a decision? To him? I was very upset. Like I said, that's what bothered me, you know what I'm saying? Because, you know, it's like I took my feet off the gas and and he goes the distance as a former champ. I respect him. He's an IBF champion, good fighter. And but not enough to beat me. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't win on me. You know what I'm saying? I mean, his, his him and his career and me and my career, two careers. They're way different careers. You know what I'm saying? And the way I saw it was why do I gotta try to knock everybody out and I fight to guarantee wins? I felt that in my whole career. Even as an average, I felt that way. I never felt that I had to go the distance. That's why I lost so much toward the Prince because I felt the only way I'm going to get the decision, especially when they were treating them like that, you know what I'm saying? I got to knock you out to solidify the win. Yeah. No, fair enough. You're but it's definitely, why do you think that way? Because I'm right. Because every time I thought that way, when I was nice with Bones, and he's my friend, and everything else, they made it a draw. Yeah. Tommy Pork, they made it a draw. They, when they, they want to tell me, even in my career, when I fought Della, oh, the eight-round fight, oh, don't knock him out, Kev. Keep up. And I do this all stuff. I tell my, it's like I stab my own self in the back. If I don't go in with tenacity like I normally do, I wind up hurting my own self. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that's the fire part. Like I, like I said, me and Marvin Hagler have a great deal in common in Boston. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We have a great deal in common in Boston. You know, and uh, it's very, very true. You know, I always felt I was always side swindled or swap pushed aside. You know, and I've created a lot of things, but the, I always found out in life. The man that's the pioneer never gets the just dues, you know? Never gets it. Never gets rewards. Everybody else after him gets rewards. You know, you talk about Michael Jordan. I said, what about Dr. J? Do we better Michael Jordan if he was in Dr. J? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, you're right. People, people forget. Yeah, you're right. And that's what I always felt like. You know, I always felt like the third wheel or the third hill. You know, it's like, you know, I understand. I, I had to open the door for everybody. I get it. But the bottom line was... Open the door, but they kept shutting the door when it when it came to my opportunities. Mm-hmm. You know, it sucks, but that's what it is. And I understand it, you know, and I understand it. You know, so that's what the, like, the text card was about. It's like I was just getting my just dues, and and when I, when I get my just dues, I bring this guy in, and yet y'all glorifying that. Everybody in New York was so pissed off. I'm like, wait a second. So 
you know, it's like, you know, boxing, you know, it's like I said, I loved it. It's like my second wife, but the bottom line is, at the end of the day, it, it's a changing game. When I was coming up, of course, I understand. Promoters love you. The greatest thing to happen, you're making them some money. On your way out the door, you know what I'm saying? You're like an ex-boy, you're like an ex-girlfriend. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're like an ex-girlfriend. They don't care as much. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I like that analogy. And that's the truth. And, and, and from there, that's obviously, the you, you box three more times, a win over Jaime Palmer, followed by a defeat to David Rodella, then a loss to Vicente Escobedo before you decide to hang them hang them up for good in, in 2009. You finish with a record of yeah. 60 wins, 10 losses, and two draws. I want to ask you a couple of quick questions before we wrap it up, Ken, right. um, if, if yeah. we're still good. Um, I Go want ahead. to ask you this. What are you up to nowadays? What gets you out of bed nowadays, Kev? Well, I still train a little bit. I got a machine called the Strike Back Training System. I have a show on Instagram. I'm doing that, but I get out of bed to go to work. I sell vacations. I sell, I work not on timeshare resort, but I sell timeshare properties um, to travel with and stuff like that. Um, I trained Ocho Cinco, the football player for the NFL. I trained him for five years. I was doing that for a while, but I was still selling the timeshares. That was my, pretty much my nine to five, uh, taking care of kids, and family. Um, right now, I, I do a lot of broadcasting. The thing that people miss is that my whole boxing career as a professional, I broadcast it. I have my own TV shows. I did Heavyweight Explosion. I did Floyd's Fight on Carol Nation. So broadcasting was a gradual to me, was probably my future. That's what I looked at it. My broadcasting part, I've been broadcasting for 20 years. Now I do a show for Tom Lawson called um, 360 Promotions. You might have seen, you might have heard about it. Mm-hmm. I've been a broadcaster for that show. Uh, me, Doug Fisher, and uh, what's that girl's name? Uh, like a Cynthia Conti. Yeah. Cynthia Conti. And um, broadcasting has been a, a, a real, I can't say a thorn on my side, but it's been something that people love me talking about boxing. You know what I mean? And um, the, way I, the way I come across um, with the sport. And I, and I cover all the bases with it. So, you know, it, me get a commentary contract is just, even in my career, there were times where there, there were empty spots. Of course, I was broadcasting. As a matter of fact, in 2001, I was broadcasting three shows at one time. So what happened was I couldn't box. So I was retired. So I actually, I didn't retire. I just started broadcasting every week. And that's something that people love that I do. Um, I, I know I've been for a while. This I didn't even pick me up. So I picked me up. Um, I did HBO. I did Showtime once. ESPN a lot. Um, CSI Sports. Um, I've done CBS. Uh, everything. Everything you name and broadcasting, I've touched and done. Uh, for, I, was, for, I was doing this before Foreman. I was doing it before Holyfield. I mean, for Roy Jones Jr. Roy Jones, I was doing one of his fights. And that's how Roy saw me, saw me doing it, and wanted to start commentating. I was doing it before him. I started in 1989 broadcasting. I did a fight. I did Holyfield versus, um, wait, I got in my head. Holyfield versus is when it was a peer review, a peer review fight. Holyfield, Holyfield fight. It was, like, uh, it was Holyfield. I think it was Holyfield Foreman. I did Holyfield Foreman on radio, and because there was a pay-per-view event, I couldn't call it the way it was. I had to call it. I had to wait a few seconds and see what I saw. So I would do it like this. A few seconds ago, Foreman landed a great right hand. Looked like he buckled the legs of Holyfield. It buckled a little bit. Looked like a little spaghetti, but you know, it had to be very descriptive on things. And so that's where my commentary style comes from. It comes from radio because I was doing radio for so long. Right? By the time I started doing TV, it was easy. Okay. So that, that was a passion of mine. The broadcast became a passion, doing shows, talk shows. 
uh, the studios, a lot of studios, it's ESPN. You know, they, I understand TV loves the way I talk, and um, I have a lot to say. And I think that the sport should be taught better. I don't think we it, – it's, it's broadcast enough and that enough information is not being done. I think fighters should be more on the broadcast teams than anybody else. You know, and I, and and I think that when I see Mario Lopez, boxing is the only sport where they don't take a celebrity and let him be a commentator. They don't do that to football, basketball, baseball, soccer. They don't do that. No other sport they do that. Only boxing. It's like a joke. So that's why I commentate and broadcast at the level I do because I make it like, you know, that I, I've commentated with Master P before, the rapper him. Um, I did shows with. Uh, Everybody. I was working, I said, I was working for HBO for a while. So I had a contract for a few years. Yeah, it was good. And I was doing a lot of fights for them. And I did a lot of public appearances for them, um, showcases, and all kinds of stuff. And everybody thought I was going to be a gradual crossover, but HBO, of course, got a lot of boxing. And when they did that, I lost any opportunities I would have in the future signing a nice contract with them. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, so broadcasting, I still enjoy it. I still do it on the time. And as available as I can get it, you know, I, I go out there. And, and call the shots. Um, I'm doing it for Tom Laughlin now, 360 Promotions. You know, watch it on YouTube. Um, I think the last two fights that he's had. He's got some new monsters out there. Watch out. They're very dangerous. You got a guy that's a guy, Bochuk, knocking everybody out. 16 16 knockouts. Uh, he's got guys that's 8 8 knockouts. He has some real monsters out there, mostly from the Ukraine. You know, I love calling the sport of boxing, but I've learned you know, and what I've perfected in a sport of research in the ring, I know how to call it as good as I know how to throw it. You know what I'm saying? That's one thing that's a gift from God. And I always say as a gift from God that I'm just not being lucky up there. It's not luck. You know, I know how to put this thing together. You know what I'm saying? I know how to, to jab different ways and do what kind of hook you got to throw what is needed um, so I can pass all that instruction. And, and like I said, I think the talent that he gave me, so, so I can talk about it in a, in a form and fashion to explain it to the world. It's not spread to the world properly. You know, I tell sometimes. I watch commentators and I'm like, ah, that wasn't good enough. No, the, the, I want, I want, you want to create fans. If you want to create fans, you got to... People don't, don't like... What they don't like, they don't watch. It's like me. I never liked golf, right? And I started golfing and I love it. I got golf clubs in my house everything. Until you understand what it is, and that's what people, people think that boxing is a fight. I tell them, that's not a fight. I said, what's there to a fight in a boxing match? Then I explained to them, I show them, I said, listen, a fight, somebody that pissed you off, it's emotional. A boxing match is all psychological. I'm trying to outsmart you, outwit you. They maneuver the wrong way, throw the wrong punches. Okay, it's, it's, a, it's a game of chess. It's a game of chess. I'm two moves ahead of you. I know what you're going to do before you do it. That's boxing. A fight is out of aggression. All anger, emotion, no control. And I want to ask you, Kev, um, who's the? I was going to ask who's the hardest punch you ever boxed in your career, but you kind of answered it, Gregorio Vargas. Gregorio Vargas and James Pips to me hit the hardest to me. Yeah. Gregorio Vargas was a very hard puncher to me. Like I said, it's all perception. Um, James Pips. Um, first, didn't hit any harder than me than the, than the, I think personally than uh, Kane. I think it's going to catch you more off balance. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I didn't see a severe punch of like, oh, my God, that, was, that really blew my mind. Because I wouldn't attack him if I did. You know what I'm saying? I, I told him all the time, how did I attack him after he knocked me down? I was just ran in, right? So it wasn't like I was scared. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't, it wasn't like that. It wasn't that kind of power that the, made the press made, I think. 
trust and make your power break your power. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, I, I seen a interview I think yesterday about Holyfield and Mike Tyson. I was talking about him. Holyfield, I hit as hard as Mike Tyson. He said, I don't know why I kept talking about Mike. I hit harder. I had to stop him. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, punching power is all perception. Except for guys like Julian Jackson. Um, you know, guys like that have, have normal punching power. Right? Um, you know, guys like, you know, guys like that are just tremendous punchers. You know what I'm saying? Uh, another one was um, Ernie Shavis from the stress puncher. Like, these guys got have normal punching power. You know, anybody they hit, they're going to go out. They're going to hit the hardest. Ben Phillips is another tremendous punching power. You know? Kapazoo, another tremendous punch. These guys have power no matter who they fight. They're going to say they hit hard. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. Tommy Hearn. You know, hit very hard. But, you know, you got to ask my opponents. I saw a guy that knocked him out in the second round. The guy told me I didn't hit hard. Ain't that crazy? <laughs> I knocked him out in the second round. He told me I, you know, I hit hard. I said, okay. <laughs> and I, I understand perception. That's what I would say. If I was on the air, I would say, well, it's perception. And that's what people understand. You know, you know and that punching power is talked up. So you knock out this guy, knock out this guy, knock out this guy. All of a sudden, you can knock everybody out, right? Not true. Well, there's guys that you're going to hit. You can't hurt. Troy Dorsey's one of them. Wayne McCullough's another guy like that. These are guys you hit. You're not going to, I'll tell you, well, what kind of punch power you got? You're not going to get the guys out of there. You know? And um, so punch of power is all perception. And I want to ask you, Kev, um, you know, if you could go back in time, was there anyone you'd have liked to fight that you didn't get the chance to? I know you've said Tom Johnson a million times, so I'm guessing it must be him. I wanted to fight Tom because I know I could beat him. He's a left, he had my left season. I knew the secret. Yeah. But I wanted to take his title. And he's a good, he's, I told Tom. I told Tom, too. But the only fight I would have rematched because the public wanted it was the prank. Yeah. Okay, because the public wanted it. So I wanted to do that, right, to close that chapter, right? Because it's an open window in my career. You know, I got all closed windows in my whole boxing career. And that op- that's the only open window because every time somebody sees me, they're going to say, why was your, why? I don't get it, Kev. How come that fight was a rematch? That fight was great. And that's why I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I tell them I need a dance partner. You can't dance by yourself. You know what I'm saying? I need a dance partner. I would have did it gladly. But I know he would never do it. He wouldn't do it. It's not worth it to him because, you know, he, he just my history, he knew, you know, I scared him. I, I know I scared him. And, um, you know, he was going to do it. I would have did it gladly. I mean, I was off, it's on the table. When he fought, when he actually fought, Augie Sanchez, I was on the table that time, too. And I said, yes. And, but it wasn't going to happen. You know, I knew it was going to happen. But like I said, you know, we leave that open window when people will remember that fight and say, wow, I want to see that again. That's an emotional fight. People felt very emotional. And the Gainer fight and then the Troy Dorsey fight. Those are three fights that I, that I hear about constantly from time to time. I never hear about Espinosa. I never hear about Virgil Soto. Sometimes from the boxing fans, I hear about Soto. I am a solo, a virtual solo, but majority of the time it's Gainer, Torsi, Prince. I would say about 95% of the time. Those three fights I'm going to hear about all the time. And Kev, who would you say was the best opponent you ever boxed in terms of all-round fighter? Who was the best? I don't, you know why I don't know that? Because I'm the kind of fighter where I fight where I don't think you're good on even fighting you. You know what I'm saying? So there's no, there's no body... I thought I meant for like me, so I didn't know you asked that question. For a lot like me, so I switch and stuff. Um, the best boxer, I would definitely say Smoke. He has a reach advantage. He's tall, lanky. He's quick. He's fast. 
the bar is an amazing boxer. Punching power, he really, eh, nothing really that, you know, man, that's going to bother me, hurt me, nothing like that. He don't got the Tommy Hearns punch. But boxer-wise, definitely Smoke. Smoke is a hell of a boxer. I would say nonstop, non-destroyed off all day. That's a, that's a rock. You're fighting a rock. You need a gun for him, okay? Um, Alberto Soto was a better fighter, right? As actually a better fighter than even when I was in the ring with him. I didn't realize how good a fighter he was until I beat him. So, and then even even another guy, Edward Santana, when I beat him, he's another guy who was very shocked how good he was. Even even um, the guy I beat him, Frank Gasolata, knocked out. Frank Gasolata was a hell of a fighter, I realized, after I fought him. You know, when I watched the tape, I'm like, damn, that guy's a good fighter. But, you know, they're not going to beat me. That's the only thing. You may be a good fighter. I mean, you're going to beat me. So, um, Prince is definitely in my top five. Okay, skill-wise. Because he fights very much. We fight very similar. There's some similarities. But I can say there's nobody that I ever in the ring, because my mindset's different. You know what I'm saying? My mindset's way different now. I'm fighting you. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I know I'm going to get around whatever you got. I'm going to get around and get you out of there. So, my mindset never had a thing. I'm like, oh, wow, this guy's really, really good. You know what I'm saying? I never had. It. I was hoping I could do better than you, and I was, did better in the ring, and that brought me to another level, and I could just blow you out, blow you out somewhere. Um, Let me extend the it, question, it, Kevin. Let me say it. Who yeah. was the best person you perhaps sparred? Is that an easier question? Sparred oh, got in the ring with that's the best person. I, the guy that I, the best guy that I actually boxed wasn't actually a boxer. He was this guy in the gym, at least his gym, who I actually got in the ring with to get rid of a prince fight who never had a fight, and it was amazing. He never fought. This guy gave me the best sparring of my life. He fought at the Prince. And this guy was a hell of a boxer. Just came to boxing train. So he was, he was very, he's the one I paid attention to. Um, I would say in the ring boxer. I mean, I even boxed a heavyweight. I used to box with Tan Peter. <laughs> he's every champion in the world. When he was every champion, I used to spar, spar, box with him a little bit. Um, I would say Linares, Hoy Linares, a hell of a fighter. Yeah. I like Linares. I worked with him a lot. I sparred with Linares a lot. Um, they're all different in their own way. They all got their own secrets. You know what I'm they all got their own special tactic, their own special thing they do. I, I'm, I'm actually saying I got like four or five guys. Augie Sanchez was a hell of a fight in the gym. Hell of Maybe not in the box, but he's a hell of a fight in the gym. Um, Augie Sanchez, a great spawn partner. Um, Wayne McCullough, amazing. You know, he, he's Troy Dorsey all day. Doesn't stop coming. Keeps throwing at you. Um, Everybody's different. No, no I, think, I, I, think, I don't think there's anybody that put me on my heels. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That way I was like, wow, you know, holy cow. And then I would say that the closest to that is Linares. I would say he was the shocker for me. Like, like, but, but I was the only one that was falling there in old Vegas. You know, he was knocking everybody else out. But I, I was falling there and I was almost 40, 40 some years old. Yeah. I was still sparring him. You know what I'm saying? And he was moving away from me, so he was had a great deal of respect for me. I'll punch upon speed. But he was really good. Linares, I can say Linares. I have to answer your question. Linares. Jorge Linares. Okay, interesting. And I want to ask you this, Kev. Have you, have you got any regrets? If you could go back and change something, um, do you have any regrets about, about your career at all? Nope, not one. Good. Not one. Good. That's not one. Everything had to happen. Everything had to happen. That way, you know, regret. Regret, you know, I had to go down to February to fight Morales. I had to go to February to fight Morera. Those things I had to do, you know what I'm saying, in my career. You know, I, it wasn't like I could, I had a, I could afford to sit out. You know what I'm saying? I couldn't, I couldn't do it. You know what I'm saying? 
if I could have did it different. Now, the question was, if I could have did it different, would I? Yeah, you know, um, some things here and there. I, I, would, I think I would have fought everything the way I had fought it because it made me who I am. Um, it proved to me, boxing is the only sport to me in the world that proves to you what you can do. You don't know what you can do until you do it. That's boxing. Like, me being in total one arm, me knocking out getting one eye, those things I didn't know I could do. You know, I had no idea. And I do it under with adrenaline going and and everything going on, and I pull it out a victory because I'm trying to feed, your, feed my family. You know what I'm saying? And I would say that on my mind, you know, those are amazing things. Those, to me, are amazing things. You know, I, I don't expect accolades for them. I just, you know, I was just doing what my job was to so 110%. Not, uh, not ninety, not eighty-five, not forty-five, hundred and ten percent. I was—you had to kill me. I was refusing to lose. I was refusing to to, to succumb to 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 you to, to learn to boxing. You know what I'm saying? That's why I looked at it. I looked at it like you're primitive. What I'm doing, what I'm, what I'm about to do in the ring, I, I'm blessed with a gift. I have great hand speed, punching power, and both hands. I can switch righty lefty. So I was like, I feel truly gifted. It was just a matter of. You're going, right? And you're not going to be going nicely. You know what I'm saying? So that's my thing. And I, I always remember as my tough pro that I forgot, I forgot who told it to me. Send a message to the other guys in the future. You know what I'm saying? And that's what my goal was to do, to send a message to my future opponent. You know what I'm saying? And so that they got their names. I know this boxing sport is psychological. It's 90% psychological. It's only 10% physical. And that's the truth about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, I agree, and, and I, yeah, I've heard that uh, um, many, many times before. Definitely true. Um, my last real question for you, Kev. We ask this one to everyone that we speak to from overseas. Um, it doesn't have to be Prince Nassim. It can be absolutely anyone. But who's your favorite UK fighter of all time, any era? Who comes to mind? Prince Nassim. He does. He just does. Prince. Prince. I would say because. I didn't have a chance to watch Chris Eubank. Um, I watched him later after I knew about things that I watched him before. Uh, Nigel Ben, I know him very well. Um, you know, a lot of guys, I, when I got in the game, I started watching. You know what I mean? And that's what I learned about him. But I would say Prince Ahmed, Nazi. From UK, I mean, I, I go back to Charlie Chuchu, Wallace Brown, Julian Jackson, Perry Norris. Um, you know, I go back to watching Ray Robinson, watching Billy Backus, Archie Moore, Jack Johnson. I mean, I'm like Tyson. I'm a historian. I watch everything. You know what I'm saying? I feel, wow, to see how, how we evolved, to know that what we have to do. And when people say boxing ain't the same, what they mean is the mindset's not the same. Not the boxing, the mindset. The idea to get rid of your opponent. These guys today want to fight the full distance. Right? Instead of getting the ring to knock somebody out, right? And knowing how to do it. That's the problem with today's fighters. They're not, you know, I like, I like that. Actually, for a long time, I praised Kel Brook. Um, I thought Kel Brook was, was a really, 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 and I still think he is a really, really good fighter. Um, I just think that, you know, before Errol Spence, Spence Younger, you know what I'm saying? But, I thought Kel Brook was going to be Errol Spence. I thought 
he's the most underrated welterweight there was. And I think Trump looks like a fighter. Cruz Eubank with the stories lines, I like him. You know, a really good fighter. I remember, I remember watching Ryan Rose. I remember Ryan Rose. He was in the Prince camp. He's pretty decent, too. But he's more of an imitation of Hermit. But Ryan Rose wasn't bad. You know? Um, I go back to Henry Cooper from Europe. Guys like that. Well, I'm, I love the sport of boxing like my father does. Did, you know, and, um, you know, I watched the way back to Jack Johnson, Sid Simmons. You know, I go back. I watch everything. Henry Armstrong. See, what I want to correct in boxing is that these current fighters, they, they, everybody's holding a, holding a state, Henry Armstrong, Henry Armstrong. There's no fighters doing Henry Armstrong did. It was eight divisions. He was champion of three of them. So no fighters ever done that in the pen. All belts, all three belts equally. Back here, I went up in weight, never came back down. Okay? Sugar Ray went up in weight, never came back down. Give me Jones went up, never came back down. So, you know, Henry Armstrong defended all three titles equally. That's what makes him so great. And nobody's ever done that. Imagine defending a welterweight title, a featherweight title, and a lightweight title the same. That's crazy. That means you got to lose 20 pounds and defend the title and win. Amazing. So the people got to know the facts. It's like the record's been broken already. Mayweather doesn't got the record. He doesn't. But Carlos Lopez has the record. But Carlos Lopez is 51-0. Did you know that? Yeah, but there's actually a guy. There's actually a guy that's fighting now. He's uh, the WBC yeah. minimum weight yeah, world champion, yeah, fifty-four and zero. <laughs> yeah, but he's not retired. So until he retires officially, so the record's not played. The record, and I don't count Conor McGregor as a win. So I count him tied with Marciano because, <laughs> well, to me, we look at it like this. If I when I was boxing, if I had a fight against Kobe Bryant and I won the fight, should I go on my record? No. <laughs> So, even though you know the fight sport, he's 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 always one as a professional fighter, right? He has no record. We don't look at history books down the road. So it's just a matter of like uh, you know perception. Like I said again, you know he's a great fighter, good fighter. Like, yeah, of course, all day. But I'm not counting McGregor. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, but yeah, the the most popular answer to that favorite UK fighter thing is. Is, is Prince Nassim. And just finally, Kev, um, if you've got any closing words just to your UK fans, I, I know you've got a ton of them over here. You probably don't get to speak to them too much. If you've got any closing words just to send them a message, um, yeah, you can do that before we let you go, my friend. I'm glad they enjoyed my career and I did it for them. My logo on my cards, my logo on my shirts, my logo was doing it for the people. Not doing it for the Americans, not doing it for the Europeans, not the Africans, Latinos, doing it for the people, the people in general, globally. That was my logo on my cards, and that's the message that I did it for. I, I rose to those occasions because, and I had to persist and, and overcome things because I knew that the people would love and leave them with memory. That's what I want to leave the people with memory. And that's what's great about this thing. Okay? It doesn't matter. It's like, when I was watching, when I was a kid, I used to watch a show called Good Times. I was about 11 years old, 12 years old. And when I seen Jimmy Walker, who lives in Vegas, on Good Times, it took me back to them times in 1977. And I'm glad that I had fights that were memorable, that people I can leave with these people, that they remember when they see me or say, you know what? I've seen this kid, Kevin Kelly, man. What a fighter. That's what 
I did it for. To be some of the best fighters in the world. Instead of just being another guy out there throwing punches. Unique, different, and special. And you were you were definitely that. You should be proud of yourself, my friend. Listen, we as you said, you know, you, you mainly get asked about free fights. We've gone over 20 this week. Kevin, it's been a real honor walking down memory lane with you this week. Thank you so much for your time. Take care. And, of course, best wishes for the future. I hope we can speak again soon. Thank you very much. Anytime. Anytime you want to call talk about some fights, the box comes back. You let me know. We do this. 100%. I'll have you back on soon, man. God bless you. Speak soon. All right. Thank you. Okay, and this wraps up episode 247 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. A massive thank you to our sole guest on this week's podcast, the former WBC featherweight world champion, Mr. Kevin Kelly. As always, though, the biggest shout-out of all goes out to you, the listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to all these podcasts we've brought you during the lockdown period. It's been difficult tracking down some of these fighters from the yesteryear. I can't lie about that. Um, You know, to do these, these interviews, so I hope you've enjoyed them. They've all been very in depth. Very soon, when we when we uh you know when we get boxing on our screens every weekend again, uh, we won't be doing these long in depth interviews. So enjoy them while they're here. We'll go back to interviewing two fighters a week, and it'll be much shorter. I don't know if some people prefer that or not. Not quite sure. Um, so yeah, that that's about everything from myself. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe. That's a big priority. And we shall see you all again next week.